Welcome back to Pipe Dreams. We're back in the Ocho. We've had a massive hiatus because of me. Yeah, yeah. dude. Well, that's I've what happens gone. when you're in negotiations with the factory Harley. Whoa, dude. It's confidential. <laughs> Not anymore. It's dude. confidential, dude. Uh, yeah, so I've been gone. I went to Europe. We did some live wire stuff. I signed for factory Harley. And, uh, it was casual. Casual. We did some other stuff. We did a golf trip with Kyle recently. You're saying we. I didn't. I wasn't invited. Kind of like that Punta Cana trip. <laughs> Shout out to you, Briar. Stop. <laughs> Dude, everybody's going to be so sour about it. And then, yeah, we just flew out on the Big Bird. We came here. We did a couple days. Uh, Where are we at? Chuckwall. We're in the Ocho Chuck Garage. The Ocho. Big time. We got and a live crowd here. Big Ross in the back. Yeah, big, big dog. <laughs> wolf, wolf. Ross has been killing it. But we came all the way out here to give you guys a pod. We know we've been slacking on it. It's because of me, but... We're we're back. We're gonna do it. We're going, and uh, <laughs> we are we are doing it. We're not gonna. We're doing it right now. All right, dude. We're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to? Just growing out this thing, dude. No shave November. Dirty. Dirty. That's about it. I don't know. I've been uh, just kind of taking a little bit of a break after the season. It was a, you know, long year. Good year, but long year and took a couple well we actually had no time off we came straight here to the ocho but you were uh i don't know where you were you weren't here you didn't come to the first round so uh yeah it's been good we're not here chuck waller just hanging out yeah but you've been on a you've been on like a you've been traveling around america i have been traveling around america you saw the grand canyon you took k to see the grand canyon yep grand canyon we did uh big boyfriend points hot spring (laughs) hot springs arkansas we did uh we did everything. How come we you're went not to the OWB. Ki- Why come you're not wearing the, know, the Kentucky hat? Dude, self-promotion. Okay. Got the best of me. OWB. You went and saw... <laughs> yeah, we went, yeah, you went and hang out with Jake Lewis. And Jake the Snake. Very yeah, cool. we went and hung out with him. Um, super cool. Owensboro is it's cheap, man. I think I might have to make an investment investment property down there. I don't know. You're going to have to talk to Tommy Hayden or somebody <laughs> over there who runs the place. But all right. Enough of that. Yep, Let's yep. get to our guest. Um, yeah, we're excited about this one. It's we when we when we started doing the podcast, we wanted to obviously have racers on, right? But uh, part of it was also just industry people. So this is our first, our first. Don't even say it. Industry professional. She, she races. She does race too. Yeah, so that, not that, a non-racer, but everybody, Chloe, Leron. That was pretty good. Right? How do you yeah. say it? Leron. Oh, yeah. you want to say you want to say hello to your French fans? Oh, bonjour, my, my uh, fan français. Oh, you don't even know? That sounds weird. That sounds really weird. <laughs> I don't know if I speak French. <laughs> Je m'appelle yeah, James. <laughs> Je m'appelle James. <laughs> oh, man. Are we going to have subtitles? Uh, yeah. The whole thing. For you. Like English subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have French subtitles, actually. <laughs> we're Hopefully we bring that French. Yeah, we're going international. So, people, Worldwide. I think uh, your kind of nickname is the aim girl yeah. <laughs> the aim check yeah, the aim <laughs> yeah. Check. so you're in the ocho yeah. why are you in why are you in chuckwalla i am in chuckwalla because i'm sporting the paddock and the series with aim which is a company that makes lap timers pretty much all the lap timers that like people use at the club level um and i'm here to like fix whatever is broken if you just send it a little bit too hard and like everything comes back in a million pieces i don't know that i can fix it but like you know, if you like send it mid hard, I can do it. Like, I feel like I feel like ninety nine percent of people have no idea how to set up their aim systems either. Yeah, so there's that, that is too. Me. Like I do a I lot li- of software help and like 
yeah, just basic fixes and then a lot of like software tips. But I was part of the the OG aim where you had the white block that you had to put on the put on the wall, and then you had yeah. to, when you came by it would read, and you had to put the little sensor on the side of the body work. You weren't you were too young. Yeah, I wasn't born yet, <laughs> dude. You're almost thirty, dude. Dude, you're almost Relax. forty. Um, what? Uh, James and I are the same age. He was getting cranky today. He's getting cranky in his old age. Whoa. Like once three o'clock hits, he needs a nap or something, or like a warm milk, you know. It is true, dude. I've literally been traveling the entire time. I don't want to hear it, dude. You've been on vacation. So, aim. Yeah. They've come a long way, right? Yeah. They've kind of the. Would you say they're the leaders in lap time technology now moved into data, or what? What would you? How would you say? They really are what, as far as go karts are going. I mean, they just posted a picture of Max Verstappen in Vegas when he was doing the like the national championship for go karts, um, like full aim sponsors and everything. So they really are the leader in in go karts. They're really branching out in. Uh, cars and they have a lot of systems in cars and I'm really trying to help them like get back into the motorcycle business they were in motorcycles I think like maybe five years ago and I don't know something maybe slowed down and then like I think we're picking back up again it seems like well there aims always seems to have been there I mean I have one of the older ones that's got it's all black and it was just a blue LCD (laughs) (laughs) what what? That was before the telephone, okay. <laughs> it had a you had to circle. She was like, I had a, had a stopwatch duct tape to my my cast. Like what, dude? It, dude, it's an aim. All right, we got it. <laughs> okay, you go. <laughs> but it's like it's like the same thing as a transponder, right? Like you had you had the, the receiver at the um at the start finish, and then like those no. still exist. No, this is the second gen I got. It, it was the, the first GPS. You're really dating this yourself This is actually now. a podcast about James's lap timers. Oh, man. We should have a museum of James's <laughs> lap timers. So tell us how you actually end up at Chuck Walla with AIM, though, because you're not, you don't live in California, right? So no. do you travel to all the tracks in the U.S., or is it just the Chuck Walla? No, so I really picked the Chuck Walla series because I think it was like three years ago. I had just gotten started working for Moto America, and I was just like helping privateers here and there. I was the, I was the nerd at Track Day that had the Solo Two DL, and I was like, "Hey, look at this! This is so cool!" Like, it was really fun because I really started picking this up during COVID, and I work in a lab a lot on engines, and I couldn't really go into the lab anymore. So I was like, "Hey, like, there's obviously something that I can put on my motorcycle to actually get data from my engine. So what is it?" Um, so I found the aim the aim lab timers and got one for christmas it was like kind of my my gift to myself um and started helping privateers and like that first year of moto america was so fun during 2020 when like i had more time in my hands that i just didn't want to lose touch with the whole paddock and i was like okay what can i do during the during the winter so um I had done by then a couple webinars with AIM. It's been a company that has supported me from the beginning, from like when they first reached out, when they saw what I was doing with like helping people at the track to like now they've been extremely supportive and they've just basically given me everything that I've asked for or everything that I've needed. And they were like, hey, whatever series you want to do, just let us know and we'll let you borrow the red van. It's like a really, really cool sprinter, like all set up with cabinets inside and a working station. It's really cool. Um, and yeah, I just 
like the one series that actually makes sense for us motorcycle racers is Chuckwalla, is CVMA, because all of you guys are here. I mean, there's really some really good people, some really fast people. And there is also a bunch of very serious racers, I think, in California that um, are really migrating to, I mean, that are in California and also like people from all over the U.S. that are coming to California. Um, I think CVMA has done a really good job or Chuckwalla has done a very good job at like promoting the series and also like allowing people to come here from 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 afar there's some really cool cabins you guys with the ocho are having are having a really really cool program like helping new yorkers you know come here and like leaving their bags and providing crew i mean it's it's probably the most professional club series that we have in the u.s so it really made sense to be here keeping in touch with the fast racers being being with like the motor america paddock but at the same time like helping people that are trying to train during the winter to make it to Moto America. So um, it's been really fun during the season of Moto America to see people that have met during, you know, Chakwala races that are there and that are making it to their first race as a privateer, for example. So, yeah, it just makes sense. It's a really good series. Here. So you didn't actually work for AIM previously, so you were Ever. doing something else, and then you just were like, into yeah. it and they yeah. they saw it and picked more it was, picked you up. I think if I go back three years, I think I was just making Instagram stories. And I was tagging AIM all the time. And I think for fun at some point I just they might have liked the story and I responded and I was like, Hey, do you guys hire? And yeah, the the I think the president of AIM US, the distribution center in the US, Mike James, like big shout out to him because he's been really awesome. He, uh, I think he responded. He was like, "Yeah, just like send send your resume to uh, to this email address," and then we got in touch. And like I was kind of joking because I had a I had a decent job um, doing research, and uh, uh, I knew they were not going to sponsor Visa. So that's a whole other world that you know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it was really really cool to get in touch with them like that. Um, and then I think like mid 2020, they invited me to do a, a webinar on motorcycle data and that really worked out. Like it, it actually was a pretty big hit. It was, we started at the basics. Like, what do you do with a solo two DL? It's not just a lap timer. Here's like all of the possibilities of, you know, how you can analyze your data and all of the calculations that you can run on what you have. And like a lot of people have that solo two and they just use it as a screen that shows their lap time. And this, it's so much more to it. So we did like a whole spiel on that. That worked really well, and then I think two, three weeks ago, I did my sixth webinar with them. Hmm. I actually um, thought about signing up for that. Yeah. It's, there's it's so much stuff that you, like, literally, that's all I use it for is a lap timer. And there's so much, like you said, there's so much. Where Have you always been into data? Like, has that been your thing? Or I know you said 2020 was really where you started playing around with AIM, but data-wise and, like, when, where did that come from? And how did the motorcycle thing tie through with the data? That, that's interesting. Um, wow. So way, 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 way back All then. Right. Um, eight years old me goes to my grandpa on vacations and he just like welcomes us with a, a PW80. And they with had one gear? Three gears, no clutch. Okay. It's cool. Yep. Yeah. PW80. Yeah, no, it was yeah. Cool. yeah, it's before your time. Yeah, before your time. Yeah. You know what the carburetor is? <laughs> <laughs> so like, we That's go, good. I like we that. We go on our summer vacations and it's like there's. A dirt bike that's right there and they had a pretty good uh backyard so i started riding then uh send myself into bushes so many times like it's kind of funny i had no <laughs> skills <laughs> and uh this like that that was like the first love for motorcycles and uh 
like I kind of had a hiatus for a long time, and when I got my like when I got my first paycheck because I was doing some kind of co-ops, like I, I was going to engineering school, and so I always love like things that move. So I really at first I wanted to be an airplane pilot, and then I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to be in the military. That I don't really like people telling me what to do. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna design planes, and then I like had my first internship in a company that was making. Uh, aircraft engines and I was like oh engines are super cool so like let's do that and so I had my first paycheck through that I'm like yes April 1st I'm gonna buy my first motorcycle tell my mom about my motorcycle she didn't <laughs> absolutely did not believe me but I, here I was um and like so I just started riding street and when I when I came to the U.S. and we can get back to that later when I came to the U.S. and got my very first job I was like okay I need to put a motorcycle on a racetrack like I want to do something that's fun um so that was the first, that was the part with motorcycles. So I started doing track days and like the normal progression. I did a few club races. And at the same time, I was going through an engineering school. I was getting my first job in engines. And I came to the U.S. because I wanted to study internal combustion engines. Um, so I did my master's in that and I was working with dynos. So I've always been on working on engine dynos. And it's been like that since 2012 when I was at John Deere in France. And then that's what brought me to the U.S. Um, and when you are on an engine dyno, you're gathering a ton of data. So you're looking at RPM traces, you're looking at engine temperatures, you're looking at all of those things. So it's like, it was something that I was used to doing. Um, like I was telling Russ, it's not, it's not that I'm a data engineer in training, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I'm, look, I'm used to looking at all, the, all that data, and that's something that I really rely on in order to make decisions moving forward, like in setup or you know, engine calibration and all that. Um, and when I started doing like more performance oriented writing, I was like, okay, like I, I don't really know how to express myself. Like I don't remember what happened on lap three and like turn five. Like it's, it was so overwhelming at first that I just needed something to kind of help me. And you guys all know track day coaches are not always <laughs> the most reliable coaches. Right? <laughs> you like, don't see it. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you actually provide some, some professional coaching. So I didn't really know like who to trust and and really like how to convey what I was going through. And I was like, okay, I just need to log everything that's going on and then I can look at it. So that's really how it started. I was like, I need to find something that works for me. Um, so I did it on myself, progressed quite a bit and started helping other people because that lap timer, like you said, is like everybody has it, has one. So yeah, that's, that's it. That's how I started in data. Hmm. So you actually didn't even ride a motorcycle on the street or on a rotary track until you got to the US. Yeah. Did but did you ride motorcycles in France? I did. I had a I had a street bike. Yeah. So for maybe three or four years before I moved to the U.S., I had a motorcycle. What's like your first? What was you your first bagger? Was it was a bagger. You can only yeah. have a bagger. You can only afford a bagger if you're like, if you're like sixty and retired in Europe. <laughs> Ooh. Oof. <laughs> See you, Jimmy. <laughs> Soon. That's gonna be me. Big yeah. pegs out front. It was uh <laughs> cruise. <laughs> That's probably she probably developed straight. the cruise control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a Kawasaki ER5. Wait, because yeah. for people that don't know, in Europe you have to go through quite a bit different training to get your motorcycle license, and you can only go up certain bike sizes yeah. as you get higher levels of a license. Correct? Yeah. So. I had to pick that 500 just because of the power level. So you're limited to, I think it's like 47 kilowatt. Okay. Whatever that is in horsepower. 
for two Wait, years. What? Wait, what? Wait, hold on. Electricity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah. Can I mean, you it's a, can you give us a number crunch real quick? <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a value it's a value of power. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what that is. Like, could you translate that to, that to American? Hey, no, Ross, can you get the <laughs> can how you many get, ponies? Can you get the can you get the whiteboard out? <laughs> Just, how many ponies is that? So ER five I mean, must have been like a Ninja five hundred. Then is that kind of yeah, what that is? yeah yeah yeah? It's like oh, a naked yeah. bike. Yeah. It was uh, like 2003, carbureted. I think it's twins. Mm. I, I know it was liquid cold. That's all I remember. Uh, two stroke? It was blue. It was cute. No, no, no. It was a four stroke. Can you imagine a Kickstarter on this? No, 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 no. We have electricity in Europe, you know? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah, electrons and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that. It was kind of fun. Like, I think I bought it for like 1,300 euros or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it was it was dirty cheap. It was awesome. Did your like did your father ride or your family? No, uh, not at all. Um, so you were the first one in your family to ride. Yeah. So my dad, there was this thing in France where like when you got your car license back in the days, like before your time, like way 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 back, um, you got like a one twenty five cc license with it. So my dad had a one twenty five cc when he was younger. Okay. Um, but that was it. No, so you no, get that no, automatically no. when you get your car license? In yeah. It's like a scooter. But not though. anymore. Not mm. anymore. You used to. So my dad it's had a that. GP125. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like more like a... Just bump starting <laughs> <laughs> your driveway. <laughs> no, more like an old dirt bike, probably. Mm. But yeah, so my dad kind of rode a little bit, but that was it. No, like no one in my direct family actually rode. My parents are farmers. And the worst thing... So the worst story is, or the best story, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I... I live, or my parents live two hours from Le Mans. Oh, cool. West of Le Mans. And we would see people driving there. And my parents would be like casually, yeah, you know, like, oh, they're probably going to the 24 hours or they're going to like the motorcycle races. I had never been until three months ago. Really? I had never been to Le Mans ever. D and so I've been to Le Mans 24 hour? Uh, no, like I had never been to the track at all. So, okay, so yeah. I'm surprised two hours away you didn't hear during the 24 hour all the guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, we would see them. Like we would see like tons of people going, and my parents were like, "Yeah, yeah, they're going to the 24 hours. Like no big deal." But it's not something that we made an effort to go watch or see or attend or anything. Yeah, it's, like, it's the Le Mans 24 hour was insane. I did it with uh, I actually rode with uh, JP and yeah, I was fourth rider. I did two sessions on a. Penn's BMW, actually, crazy enough. And then I went to the MotoGP race, and both, I don't know which one was more insane, but it was a Tuesday before the race, and they're just on the, the bikes just never stop. They just da 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 da. And they're, and they're holding them wide and just killing them. And then they're, so they're just popping, and like, <laughs> just the, the headers are glowing. It's like you have to drive 45 minutes away to just not hear it and go to sleep. It's mm. crazy. Have you seen the parking lots at MotoGP in the 24 hours? Yeah. Like it's insane. If you do, like if you so drive a car, you're dead. Like you can't get out. Have yeah. you been to one since since you got into bikes? No, so I went to a track day in oh. in that, August. That was recently though. Yeah, yeah. that's Joshua. so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So presented the introduced the boyfriend to the family. Oh. <laughs> to like do a little like vacation in France, and then the one thing was like, yo, like we both ride. We have to go to Le Mans. I've never been. I don't care. Let's do it. And there's this really cool track day organization called First on Track mm -hmm. that JP also rode with. Um, they're French. They they have this really cool 
system where like you can rent bikes. They're affiliated with Honda for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but they also have this option where you can put your bike on the crates and just sign up for the whole season and they just drive to all those really cool tracks and you just fly in. That is sick. And it's like Mugello, Jerez, Spa, Brno, like all of those really, really cool tracks and they have Magnicore and Le Mans. And so we signed up for Le Mans. Dude, it was $200 a day. 200 euros a day to that's, ride Le Mans. That's cheap. It's crazy. It's insane. It's pretty There's much... There's quite a lot of people though. Um, like the sessions. The sessions I did in England were rammed. I don't... I don't really remember that much traffic, okay. but it's also a big track. It's yeah. really wide. How'd you like um, the track? It was awesome. Going under the Dunlop Bridge. It's and so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite tracks probably. Mm. It's really good. Like the end, the end of that of that front straight when you're going uphill and it's turning and you're just like, yeah. I mean, we're on the 600, so you just try yeah. to leave it pin, right? It was, yeah, it was so good. And we had we had played MotoGP on, on the <laughs> PlayStation <laughs> before, like on yeah. the Xbox, like trying to actually learn the track and... I mean, it was actually pretty useful. Yeah. Yeah. The undul- You don't really realize the undulation on TV, though. Like, after you go under the Dunlop Bridge, that right, that left, like, going into that double right where the two straightaways are, it's so downhill. Really? It's really, like, hmm. downhill, and it's really hard to stop for that corner. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, you just don't, you can't see it. And, like, coming out, like, don't, the Dunlop Bridge going up over and then down right is pretty gnarly. Like, it's really G'd out. It's kind of crazy. But it feels so safe. Like, you have so much runoffs. It's so oh, yeah. clean. It's the facilities are, like, pretty decent. Yeah. yeah. Le Mans. So, great trip. Amazing. Amazing. We had, we started with Paris, because you have to. Okay. And then really Shopping. amazing food. You go to the oh, Champs. Like, how do you say it? Champs-Élysées? Champs-Élysées. There you go. Yeah. We we actually didn't really go there. It's it's a little too touristy. I just I took him to like more I don't I don't say cultured places. Like there are a lot of streets in Paris that are just I think a lot more beautiful. Mm-hmm. But so we went there, um like essentially went to the the D Day beaches. Took him there. Okay. And it's kinda cool for an American yeah. to just go there. And then yeah, made our way is back. That a, like is that um What's it called? In Normandy. Okay. Normandy. What? Yeah. I don't know where you're going with that one. I thought you were just going to ask what D Day was. No, <laughs> dude. So, no, no. Like, uh, I was thinking of a movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Dunkirk. Yeah. No, that's that's south of it. Dunkirk is like way more north. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I was. All right. I was. All right. <laughs> it's not. All right. All right. It's okay. So you said you you were in airplane stuff. How did you go from? Obviously, you didn't continue with that. No, so I really wanted to work on airplanes. I was I thought that those engines were really cool. Uh, my my engineering school had this really cool concept where you do two years of like general prep and then the it's a five year school. And the last three years are um, well, you could take the option to do apprenticeship. So you essentially find a company that sponsors you and then you go you, you alternate. So you go to school for two weeks and then go to work for two weeks and then alternate like that for two years. And then the last year is like six months, six months. Hmm. And I really, really tried to get back to the same company that was making those those really cool aircraft engines. But I really didn't find an opportunity there uh, except for like one that was in the foundry. And I really wasn't interested in making. In what? The, like metallurgy, metallurgy, whatever. I don't know how to pronounce it. Like just making parts, like, like, like melting metal. Oh. And yeah. And like making mm. all of those mm. individual blades that like 
because an aircraft engine has so many layers of like small blades. Huh. It's like a big compressor and then a big turbine. Like it's it's really interesting, but I didn't really want to get into that. I really wanted to be like in the the engine, like how the engine works overall. And the opportunity that I got was at John Deere. So I got America. She thinks mistakes. Tractor sexy. So, so I went my big green tractor. Yeah. yeah. So like, did I did you have to sorry, did you have to have a country accent? Like no, I come from. It was country. John Deere, France. <laughs> it was John Deere, France. No, I grew up in a farm. <laughs> I know. So it was good. It's just like I fit it in. Right. Do you have like a? Is there a country accent? In, like, is there a French equivalent to like a redneck <laughs> accent? <laughs> yes. Is there? I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. Come but on. yeah, my dad. Like when my dad speaks <laughs> to my please? uncle. Can no, I can't. Just try. I Does can't. it even sound like the same thing? No, I mean mm-hmm. it's like it's like a southern accent here. Like how do you like, hey y'all? How do you like say hey y'all in French? Out. <laughs> I know how to say like yeah bye like they're like a tonto that's so weird oh it's, it's true. I wouldn't know if that's country yeah, it, I wouldn't yeah but it's on, on, it's like boo. um it, it's I'm like sorry. this weird dialect that's funny yeah, oh, it's funny. funny to see you like so you what's, had... your, what's your impression of like a southern accent howdy y'all oh, yeah howdy y'all yeah. yeah we're gonna get some you like my track <laughs> we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get some Jake Lewis yeah <laughs> we're gonna get some he actually doesn't feel like he has that bad of a southern oh. accent you think so yeah. Sorry, Jake. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, you Jake. Do. Yeah. Hey. That's Jake. No, not what? like Scott Russell. So that's <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> well, it's like wine. Like, you know, you have like different regions. Yeah. And the South has like different accents. And like, I felt like my, my understanding of English got better once I went to the South. And like, I could actually know, oh, that person's from Texas. And, like, this person's from Alabama. Mm. Like, that, like, I was like, okay, um, I mastered the, the English language yeah, have, like, you, uh, have, you gone, have you gone to the boston yet no where'd you pack your car harvard yard well you've been to wisconsin right we say bag or they say bag you want a bag like a plastic been, bag yeah. have you been working on your wisconsin accent <laughs> wisconsin wisconsin <laughs> i love it so you will too cheese <laughs> so it's like i work for john deere and coming from a farm, like my dad was ecstatic. He thought it was awesome. He's just like he thought I was like I, he thought I was gonna hook him up with a, a sponsorship program <laughs> so he could be like a test rider for John oh, Deere. I Never love happened. That. I love that. Um, and my dad is like a massive Ferguson guy, so like red tractors, very very different. But anyways, like he it's was so, so funny proud. To think so about funny. like that being a thing in France, you know. I guess everyone uses the same tractors as us, but like no, because Nikki's father is big into that into agricultural. And tractors and stuff like that, and he uses the what's the who's the blue company? New Holland. Maybe I think he's he's big proponent. Okay, but they're all, they're all American companies, though, right? So is John Deere an American company. John Deere is American. Yeah. Case IH is mm. American. Uh, what's Kubota? Kubota. It's uh, Korean or it's Japanese. Korean or Japanese, or I think. Mm. They're orange. Yeah. Orange. Massey Ferguson, I think, is American, but they have a big plant in France, and I think that's why my dad has that is because it's it's made in France. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Anyways, so tractors, and then obviously John Deere. John Deere is an American company, and I had to do uh, an internship abroad. So they sent me to Iowa in like January of oh, 2014, which was a like the day I landed in the U.S. was a polar vortex. It was like minus 45 <laughs> outside. That was my very first day Welcome. in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were you're like, this is America. Iowa. Yeah, because, I mean, 
I'm That's sure really you probably America. you probably looked at looked it up. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think like you know, obviously you have the stereotypes of America. You have like the Hollywood actors. You have like the New Yorkers, and then like the stereotype of the cowboy exists, but I didn't think it was true. Dude, we went line dancing on Thursdays. Nice. <laughs> it was it was actually fun. Like knowing that I was there only for ten weeks made it really really fun. I was like, all right, this is like a full like cultural immersion. And people are awesome. I mean, the Midwestern people are absolutely Super awesome. Nice. They're so nice. Yeah. So they have a lot of respect and so manners. John Deere yeah. actually was who sent you on yeah. the internship. So you had to have an internship for just to work there. You had to yeah. have to go abroad. Yeah. That's so I had oh, well, like so my That's my cool. my engineering school uh, demands that you go to you go abroad at least for ten weeks. I think was the minimum in order to graduate. Like they don't uh, they okay. won't give you they won't give you your degree if you don't have a certain level of English. And if you don't um, like spend a certain amount of time abroad, so abroad, abroad anywhere, you go anywhere. to Europe, yeah. other places. Okay. Yeah, a bunch of people went like to just other European countries. Why would you? Was it paid for, or did you have to pay? It for? was. It was paid for. I, I think mean, it just depended on like which company they were affiliated with. I was really lucky that I had didn't. I didn't have to like find a sister company or anything. It was just John Deere. It was just. So like what did you? Deal. What did you actually do at John Deere? I was doing. Um, it's called NVH, noise, vibration, harshness. So essentially, they're gigantic engines. I was working on like nine, 10, like nine, 13 liters engines. Uh, like the two programs I had like were nine and 13 liters. And they have a ton of emission requirements because they're diesel, diesel engines. Um, so we were putting accelerometers on a bunch of different pla places of the engine and we were recording like how the engine was flexing and how like all the other components were moving uh, compared to like just the base engine. Wow. So just like a bunch of, same thing, engines and sensors everywhere on top of the engine. And we were like recording the sound and trying to find where the the m biggest sources of noise were coming from. Um, and then do you try to quiet them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so you're trying to really identify where it's coming from because there's noise regulations as well that you have to pass. Um, so we're taking care of that. And then mostly like you're in a really harsh environment when you're driving a tractor on, on I was going to say on the track. <laughs> in the field um and like things are vibrating quite a bit so if you have a very big moving mass on top of an engine that's vibrating quite a bit then you could potentially break the brackets so we're just like working on that stuff um, but that's how i really got started in like putting sensors on engines um and then when i was at john deere i met a bunch of engineers that were really good really really good at their jobs and at the time i wanted to do some kind of a master's degree in england um and it kind of didn't really pan out. Uh, it was pretty expensive, too. Uh, but all of those engineers that I met at John Deere all came from the same school in Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin-Madison. They all had the same degree. They all <laughs> went to the same school. They all went to the same lab. And I was like, okay, I got to apply there. Um, so I visited, uh, talked to professors, applied, and then eventually got in. So did my internship, went back to France, finished my semester, um, actually came back to the U.S. to University of Michigan and did a full semester there. Uh, just finishing classes and stuff like that. Did you like boarding on campus? I was I was just living um, off campus mm. with friends. Actually, I made some really long time long time friends there. It was cool. Uh, but so I did like my last year of intern of engineering school was like six months at University of Michigan, six months back at John Deere. Got into grad school, went to went to Wisconsin. So like, I've done a lot of the Midwest. Yeah. Since I've what's been that, here. What's that like? Is that like a big uh, Jesus. Oh. Oh. 
what these guys are doing down there. Do they, uh, do, they, <laughs> do they know we're on the pod? I don't know, man. Yeah. We gotta get one of those big signs outside. Yeah. So it's like recording. No, <laughs> no. live. <In> live. <laughs> um, is that what is that like to like? Obviously, you have to be really passionate about something to put yourself in the middle of Michigan <laughs> to yeah, to go yeah. to school just for a semester. That's not a very long time. Like that seems like a lot of like a lot of steps. Essentially, yeah. did you have like a like a bigger picture plan or you just kind of went with it and just it took you where it took you i just you know just went with it like by after my first internship i came back to france and i told my professor i was like yeah i'm just gonna try to finish my last year in in the u.s i thought it was pretty cool and they were like hey cool good luck (laughs) and i got i got the uh the admission in university of michigan and then i was able to manage doing my internship again at john deere and then i got in grad school and i remember my professors being like oh wow like that's actually possible that's really awesome Mm. So no, I was just like going with the flow. Like That's this is a, like an opportunity here and there. You know? It's not a common thing then. It is common to do an exchange semester, but not to like out. actually come over and stay over. No, no, no. It was really not planned. Like I mean, the very first time that I came to the U.S., I didn't really care about it. I was just like, I, didn't, I had no interest in coming to the U.S. and it was just like visiting. a stop. It was just yeah. a stop for your. Yeah, it was like oh, it's going to be a really cool experience. I'm just going to do it. It's going to be six months. It's going to be fun. Or Three months at the time it was going to be fun um and i thought i was just going to go home and like continue but i liked it like you know it's iowa it's cool but i'm learning a ton <laughs> i think the biggest thing was my english was getting better i was able to make friends like from all over the world because john is a really big company um i was just like expanding horizons right it's like a new country it's a bunch of new stuff so i was like okay this is this is kind of cool everybody had motorcycles like there was a good motorcycle culture at, Har- at, mm-hmm. uh, at harley at John Deere. Um, so, yeah, it was just, like, totally different new life. So at what point did you start riding? I got – so I didn't – there I was just visiting. Like everything was really transient at the time because it was three months and then it was six months yeah. and then another six months. Just jumping around. Completely jumping around. And then when I got into grad school, so Madison, Wisconsin, like, in the middle of Wisconsin, um, I got, like, kind of a bonus from John Deere at the end of my contract. And I was like, okay, I can buy a car or I can buy a motorcycle. <laughs> like, obviously, the smart thing to it do is to buy for a motorcycle. A year in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a motorcycle. So I bought a, I did, it was my dream, it was my dream bike at the time. I had a Hornet CB599, <laughs> yellow. I was wow. so in love with that bike. Like okay. 2003, 2004 Hornet. And I mean, honestly, I didn't ride it that much because it was either too hot or too cold. <laughs> But it was awesome. It looked so cool. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. That is we cool. just like rolled the bike in the lab like during the winter and just work on it sometimes. Huh. So it was, was it was fun. Was there a lot of I, I guess this might sound bad to even ask, but is there is there a lot of females in that trade? Like like were you especially in France, is that a big thing? No. I would say like in engineering it's like one out of five, like twenty percent. Hmm. And most women end up going to like a lot of logistics engineering, a lot of uh, biomedical engineering. Mm-hmm. In mechanical engineering, it's like one out of 15, one out of 20. So is that what your degree is actually in, is in mechanical it's engineering? mechanical engineering, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I just thought yeah. it was just AIM. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I just had a degree in a AIM. A degree in AIM. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right, dude. It's freaking cool. No. You're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was more like data analysis. Though. I didn't know you were an actual no. mechanical engineer. So if, if you have a degree in 
in like data science in the US, it has nothing to do with what we're doing in motorcycles. So like data engineers, like real data scientists and data engineers, or like they're the people that are behind the, you know, like all the cookies on online. Mm -hmm. Like they're the people that are gathering all that data and then just like sending you targeted ads or like the people that buy in Wall Street. like, I love cookies. Dude, I'm like, when you said they're buying all the Somebody cookies. cookies? I'm like, what cookies? I'm like, I'm like, what? You really miss your career. Oh, dude. dude, you're killing me, Smalls. Yeah, it's like real data science is that. Like it's people running like, like crunching numbers behind behind the scenes on the internet like trying to understand trends at wall street like all that um most data engineers like so-called data engineers that you'll see in the paddock or we all come from either controls engineering or mechanical engineering so controls is like how your ecu works like how how everything interacts like all of those maps interacts in the background um and then mechanical engineers is like just like how your engine works for mm. example so Data comes with it because we need to understand what we're working on. And so we're putting sensors on everything. But it's not like, yeah, it's not like a real data scientist, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. I guess fast forward now, you're not working at John Deere anymore. No, I'm not working at John Deere anymore. <laughs> we talked about AIM, but you also yeah. do a couple other things. What are what are your other roles? So I, wear, I wear a couple hats. So when I was in grad school in, in Madison, I was working on a small engine uh, consortium and uh, Harley Davidson was part of my sponsors. So I would meet regularly with like people from the industry and I started getting some really good contacts with Harley Davidson. Um, and so coming out of grad school, I really wanted to work for them. Um, they were not sponsoring visas at the time. And uh, I actually applied to a bunch of different companies in Europe because at the time it was like, I guess it's normal, we're just gonna go back to Europe, right? Um, nothing really worked out, like Triumph didn't work out, BMW didn't work out. I actually, got a job at Honda in Japan. So like through, I had a professor who had really good ties in Japan and put me in touch with like guys at Honda uh, cars who put me in touch with the people at Honda motorcycles and they flew me to, to Japan and I interviewed there in Saitama, like right out of Tokyo. So I spent like four days in Tokyo and like one of those days was an interview. So I got to like get into the actual HRC, uh, did the interview, got an offer, didn't take it, just I think just because I learned how the Japanese culture works and how they don't really value grad school. So like you start at the very bottom, whereas in the US I could have started like basically with five years of experience, like higher. Um, so I ended up going to Cummins for very shortly, worked on like big engines. Um, then I did some like government research on very, very big engines for a national lab in Tennessee. Um, got my green card through that and then like first thing was like okay what can i do now to have my green card <laughs> so, so go back to to honda and when you say that is that mean is it financially you're saying that or actual just being able to do things so being able to do things so okay. when from what i was explained first of all like financially it's not as good as what you're going to make in the us and it works very differently but they make you start at the very bottom because in japan they have this idea that you're going to dedicate your entire career to the one company that you're going to start in. So it doesn't matter if you start sweeping the floors because you'll, you're gonna be there for 30 years. Whereas oh. like I had this mindset, like I went to grad school, I got a master's degree, like I wanna start at something where I'm doing really cool R&D right away, which would have taken me about five to six years in Japan. So that, and I had a boyfriend at the time and like, mm. like life happened, right? So it was really, really hard to turn down because I thought it was my 
absolute dream. I was I grew up doing judo and judo is Japanese and so I, like I went and trained there for that one like that short trip that I was there. So it was it was kind of tough but like I think it everything turned out for the better. Did you did you have did you study any Japanese? No. Okay. No, I was like I was going to wing it. I was like I guess I was able to learn English so I guess I can do Japanese like I don't know. Do you think I was maybe, probably delusion? Do you think maybe you could have turned around the MotoGP project or no? <laughs> Did you like seeing how it is now? I'm like, just me. Just yeah. me. Mark, we I found think, I think you could have. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Mark would have stayed. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I could have done better. That is super cool. But to, to like Cummings. Mass. I mean, I guess John Deere Cummings totally completely different. Cummins, or brother, there's no G there, brother. Cummins. Okay, Cummins. Cummins. Right, don't man. disrespect us like that. <laughs> You're, no, you don't know. This guy's like just a massive truck. Like, what do you have? F two fifty. Yeah, just... I don't got a Cummins though. It's <laughs> power stroke. And <laughs> the thing literally just shakes. <laughs> it sounds like this is crazy. Yeah. He's but... he's ripe for Kentucky. Oh, he loved it. I loved it. That's all I heard I about. myself just driving around That's my all truck. I heard about. That's all I heard about when he was there with Jay. Dude, we can do it. Side-by-side <laughs> <laughs> -side properties. <laughs> so there's like one guy that's going to Kentucky, the other one is going to Punta Cana. Like, I know who I'm going on vacations with. Yeah, just saying. See? Don't knock it till you try it. Kentucky's cool, man. Yeah. That's why the Hayden still live there. Because they own it. Because <laughs> they own it, bro. <laughs> it's freaking OWB. <laughs> Um, so you, how, how big of a part was actually getting your visa and stuff? Because I know like James's girlfriend, it's like yeah. been a huge deal for them just to get her visa so she could stay over. That uh, obviously weighed a lot into the job selection process. I would it, imagine it was a really big deal. So Cummins is a really good company that sponsors a lot of visas. Um, when you have an what they call an advanced degree, so either a master's or a PhD you get one more chance at being picked. So your application goes into, so a company has to apply for you. Yes, I think it's super expensive. Like it's tens of thousands of dollars. Um, they apply for you, you get put into this like pool of applicants. Lottery. And yeah, big lottery. If you don't like, get picked in the first, like in the first draw, um, then you get, when you have a master's degree or a PhD, you get put into a second one and you have a second chance. <laughs> yeah, like I, I was lucky enough that I got it for the first time. Like. First, first year that I applied or that they applied for me, I got it. Um, but then that's just a work visa. So yeah. it's only, it's good for three years, renewable at like one round. So another three years. So you can have it for six years. And then I got it through, like, then I went to work for a company that, it's not a company, it's like a national lab for the government. And I was doing research. So I got it through that. I got the green card through Oh, that. wow. That's how um, you did it. Yeah. But it, it requires like, publications like scientific publications and all of that um so that was really really cool and being i think you've mentioned that i heard you mention that what like when you are from a country that is not really well represented within the like the pool of immigrants in the u.s you have more you actually have more chances because they're trying to really promote like the diversity so you have this thing called the diversity lottery that's also an option um, where like I think it's fifty thousand green cards go to um, people from countries that don't have a lot of immigrants. So like if you're from Brazil, Mexico, I think Canada, like you you don't qualify for but for that. But if you're from like most European countries or like small Asian countries, you can get in. Hmm. Um, so that that is also another avenue. But it's really tough, really really tough. And 
honestly, I couldn't really work in the paddock until I had my green card because you're not allowed to get paid. So I was volunteering the very first two years, I think, just doing it for free. That was even up fun. until? Until 2020, the end of 2021. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. And could you have gotten your green card at Cummins? Yes, possibly, but it would have taken longer. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because they, like, as a company, they're saving money. So they were going to go through, like, the whole six years of visa. Yeah, of and course. And then, like, in year number six, they would apply for the green card. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's a way to keep you there. Because yeah. when you have a green card, you can work for anybody you want. When you have a, a work visa, you only can work for the company that you're that sponsors your visa. Yep. Um, so that's tough. So, like, really, once I got the green card, like, I started my LLC. Like, I started doing a bunch of more work in the, um, in the paddock. I was able to work for AIM and actually just, like, rep AIM in the paddock because... All of that because I, I I wasn't really restricted by like the laws of working for of work visas basically. So when did you actually start working at Harley? Then that was pretty recent. It was pretty recent. So, 2021, I was at Road America, working for um, Knowles, who was writing was writing Twins at the time. So just like privateer effort, um, and two of my coworkers that I knew from well not co well current coworkers, but people that I knew from grad school. Uh, one of them was sponsoring my project when I was in grad school, and the other one was like in grad school with me. They were at Road America to watch Baggers because it was the very first year that Baggers were at Road America. And like they walk there, and like I see them, and we chat a little bit, and they're like, "Hey, what's your uh, what's your, your situation right now? Because we actually have an opening in our team." And I was like, "Oh yes, hell yeah!" <laughs> so I applied right away. I had just been converted from like contractor to full-time on my old job and i was like it had been three weeks i think and i was like uh i'm applying like i'm going and like a few weeks after that i was i was i was accepted at harley and started harley so was it for the race team right away no okay the team that i work for at harley is called performance and noise and we do essentially like all of the r&d about three years before production okay so like we're the team that's responsible for um, like setting up what the architecture of the engine is. So which cams we're gonna select, which intake, which exhaust, like like the like the bulk of the work of the engine. And then we I'm mostly responsible for calibration. So base calibration, so like spark tables, um, like torque mapping. Uh, so all of the engine dyno work. And then we essentially give that package to calibrators and then they put that bike they put that engine on a bike and then they go to chassis dyno and they refine everything. They fine tune everything. They do all of the emissions stuff. But like my team is responsible for, okay, we're committed that we're going to have an engine that has like X horsepower and whatever amount of torque. Like we're responsible for delivering that. And so we got to design. I'm not doing any design. I'm doing a lot of the like. So you just, you just get number, like essentially numbers and then you guys have to, you have somebody design cams and yeah. build uh, the rest of it, and then yeah. you just hit those specs. Yeah, essentially. It's pretty cool. That is. Hmm. Yeah, so I like, didn't even know that. So your yeah. first motor project hasn't even come out yet, technically. Uh, like if you take like the race engine out, because I've been involved in the race engine a little bit, um, if you take the race engine out, no. No, like my next project is coming out in 2025. Wow, Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. That's got to be really that's cool. That's crazy, like that far ahead so when do you start working on then 2025 you'll start working on the next thing or you guys work no we already always in? have like a bunch of different projects like right now we're supporting 
something that's coming out next year. Like, like they, we go through phases. So we have like proof of concept and then we go to uh, product validation and, or development and then product validation. So you have all of those steps. And like at some point, the engine comes back into Dino and we refine it. So like right now, there's a project where we're like going back in Dino for it's a model year 2024. And so we're fine tuning a few things. But yeah, none of my big projects have come out yet. Hmm. And, and I've how, been there for two years. How did you. So if you're there and you're seeing a race team start because you went to the race and obviously you're seeing baggers, how do you get onto that project with. I mean, Harley's a massive company. It's not actually. Okay. Like, like <laughs> it's actually no 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 like no like, it's okay. it's crazy because there's so many there's so many dealerships everywhere uh. like do you know how many employees are at Harley? Three hundred. <laughs> like total, just take a guess. No, twelve hundred. It's like five thousand worldwide. Okay. It's not that big. It's like mm-hmm. Cummins in in comparison, like Cummins is sixty or seventy thousand worldwide. Wow. So it's it's actually not that. I mean it's. It's a big company, but it's not like a gigantic company. So it's like as far as engine people like me, like our team has six or seven people. But then like you take all of the powertrain, we're maybe 50 people. So there's 50 people in the world that are designing and, and producing engines for Harley. It's not. Yeah, it's actually not that big. It's but not. Yeah. So we have eight uh, development dynos. And at some point in 2021, the race engine was going in there for like hardcore development it was the it was the year um after kyle had won like those three races and we were like okay like that's we're gonna ramp it up it's going to be i think five races then it became six now it's seven or eight or i forget like i lost i lose count but um so the effort was really like much bigger they actually created a race team it was not just like enthusiasts are working after hours right so it became it became a lot more um, a lot more serious and so we put an engine in an engine dyno and we started developing parts for it um, and there was a phase of calibration that I'm responsible for within the company that this this engine needed um, so I volunteered to do it and I kind of got roped in so like it's been it's going to be the third season now that I'm helping it's it's part of a project it's not I'm not part of the race team I'm like what they consider being the the extended team so mm. all of the R&D behind we're not there at the racetrack during the day-to-day like operation of the race team but we're helping like behind the scenes is that hard to not be part of the actual race team because you're you're racing background and obviously like want to like i want to see the suspension data it's so <laughs> weird it's so weird i've had a few instances where i had to kind of run bike but it was really weird for people that didn't know me in the paddock that knew that i wasn't part of the race team and then like or vp of engineering uh, who like sees me with a Suzuki shirt on hmm. or an AIM shirt on, like depending on depending on the day, basically. And they're like, "What are you doing here?" It's pretty <laughs> weird. So now now they're aware of it that I work for a different team. But it's I have such a high stake in the game for for the bagger engine that like I'm always I'm on my super sport team and really enjoying what I'm doing. And I'm looking over like, "How's Kyle doing? Like how how is the team doing? Is the engine holding up? Like is everything going okay?" So it's it's super cool to be involved in that at that level because then I know that on Monday when I go back to the office like that's the thing that I actually care about mm. so like this whole bagger development has been awesome and we've we've all been through it right we've been we've been growing through Moto America for the last five four years 
uh, and seeing baggers going from this exhibition race at Laguna. And I remember I was not working for, for Harley at that time. And I just saw them around Laguna. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> the Hell's Angels are showing up <laughs> in the paddocks. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? And I, I remember just not liking it at all. And then I went to the corkscrew and saw them going down the corkscrew. I was like, okay, there's something there. And like the year after, it got better and better. And then I got, then I drank the Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I signed the contract. I started working for the company. I'm like, this is the best thing ever now. What's it like to see... I think a lot of people on the outside don't really see yet, maybe because there's things coming or, or not, who knows, um, to see the development inside the company being like part of the team that actually affects change on the future bikes. It's, uh, is it, it's it, it, fun. That's got to be crazy. Yeah, it's really fun. There's a lot of things that we are learning on the race program because everything is super fast. So, like, we would go, we would go, during the winter and just like develop the engine but then during during race rounds or after race rounds and between the during the season sorry between race rounds would actually just iterate on on the things and there are things that are really interested that interesting that we actually take and like try to apply on products for you know just like years to come um just failures that we learn like we all see failures on the racetrack and so we're like okay like that's something that actually needs attention and so that's a learning that we take with us for, for the rest. But as far as racing goes, it's really fun because we started with an engine that was production and we've developed it to something that's really different. Like it's the same displacement, but it's something that has a bunch of really cool parts on it. And it only took two years, really. I mean, if you're looking at it, it's been for, you know, from like 2021 to where we are now, it's those baggers have really evolved that swing arm and it's absolutely mm -hmm. beautiful yeah and there's a lot of engineering that goes into it and i think some people would hate me saying that but we're probably better than what superbike is doing at this point just in level of like cost of r d um level of engineering that goes into it like there is just so much going on if moto america was not essentially maintaining like I want to say just um, keeping us on track with development, like we'd probably already have traction control, you know, like there's so many things that are not allowed just to keep the budget in a somewhat reasonable manner. I mean, it's not like there's nothing reasonable by baggers, but like Moto America is really trying to like keep it in line. Yeah. Uh, but if we didn't have that, it could be, would have the same tag well. as like, I mean, yeah. when are winglets gonna go, gonna appear on yeah, baggers? Right? Like, you got two <laughs> just, factories just airplane going. wings hanging off the back. Yeah. You got two factories going head to head. It's just bound to happen. I mean, and it's uh, it's something that's continuing to just grow. I mean, the MotoGP of baggers is what they are, and the pro the thing is, is you need two factories pushing it forward and then develop to fall through because it would just take a lot less. You know, was there anything surprising to you? coming into Harley uh, with your other backgrounds and even just coming from like a little, you had sport bike uh, data analysis stuff going on before you went to Harley. Was there anything like kind of surprising that you were like, was intriguing or interesting that they hadn't really figured out yet that they have learned since doing bagger stuff that you already kind of were privy to because you had some experience? Um, Like the whole data analysis thing, like onboard data is something that we have for calibration, but it's not something that's as well packaged as like the aim stuff. So we have a bunch of data analysis system, but it's 
it's time-based. So you just like start your recorder and then you get data for five minutes and then you just look at that. They didn't have like stuff that was GPS-based where you can just go around the track and actually like superpose data on top of that. And so Harley actually has AIM data, which is kind of cool. So I've been able cool. to help them with that. Um, it's actually the only conflict of interest that I have is I can't sell AIM stuff to Harley. It's too bad because I could have made a lot of money. (laughs) 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 I can't do that. Um, But it's been cool to like help them and see like just how much money they're spending on all of the data system. It's awesome. Like all of the, like we have bigger screens because there's more space. Like we can, we can fit a lot more sensors because there's just, there's just actually a lot of space for that. So for, for testing, it's been really cool. Um, but no, like, the, honestly, the one thing that surprised me about Harley was coming from sport bikes. I was like, I don't, I know, I don't really like Harleys. Like, it's not my thing. But I like motorcycles, and I like R&D, and I can't really do motorcycle R&D in the U.S. unless I go to Harley, basically, or Indian, but it's, it's different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I got to my team, and I was kind of expecting, like, middle-aged white guys riding cruisers. <laughs> like, Harley's the best thing ever. In my team, we have, like, everybody rides something. But, like, we have an old flat track guy who was, like, doing nationals, like, in the 80s. We have, like, guys that are doing trail riding. We have guys that are, ri- like, racing snowmobiles. Uh, it's, like, everything. Like, there's a guy who's, like, drifting cars in the Screaming Eagle team. There's, like, everybody is coming from a passion for power sports in general or, like, a passion for riding or racing. And it's not it's not just Harleys. It's, like... We just love motorcycles. We like to be outside. We like the adventures. We like the outdoors. We we just like, we want competition. And so I was really not expecting that. And so there is actually a lot of technology on those engines. Uh, but at the same time, we have to respect the, the will of the customer. So we have to package a lot of really good technology in an engine that still looks pretty traditional. And it's been, that's been really, really interesting. It's like, how do you make a pushrod engine actually perform really well? Um, and like that, I wasn't expecting that this was going to be a challenge. I was like, yeah, f- I'm coming from like natural gas engines with pre-chambers and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's going to be easy. And you just have like two gigantic cylinders that are pumping air and you have like one manifold. And like, OK, how is like how is the air talking? Like, how is there any like like cross dynamics between between the two cylinders? And it's actually really, really complex. And so it's been. It's been an interesting journey, like just going into like coming from gigantic engines to like those like s- small but mighty engines or like actually big engines still in comparison. I mean, they're huge motorcycle engines. So it's uh, it's cool. And we're really pushing them with racing. So we're learning a ton. Mm. Uh, it seems like, I mean, it's cool. I I think it's interesting to see what it'll do for Harley from a, commercial standpoint i think that's probably uh you know people just think it's like oh they just want to be indian and and you know win championships or whatever the case is but i think i would i would have to think it's more of a development thing actually more than anything and trying to figure out how to modernize i guess a little bit um which people i think have like a harley has a little bit of a bad rap in terms of just being like stuck in the in the past do you feel like that's kind of true when you're actually at work type of thing or just more just staying true to like you're saying kind of staying true to the heritage no it's it's like the outside of the engine is the heritage, but like a lot of the things that we're designing are just like it's very, it's very science based, it's very model based. Um, no, it's like we have a lot of all the new technologies that you will see on a on an R one engine. It's just 
it just doesn't look that way because it's a big V-twin, mm. right? But we have the same technology. And it's, I would say, as far as, like, the engine operates, it's probably more advanced than, like, an R7. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, dude, the development has come so far, and it's if you go and ride a new road glide now, it's they're so good. Like, if I, you know, I dare anybody to go and just test ride one at a, a dealership, you'll be so surprised, and you go, "Oh, that thing's heavy. It's big." Blah blah. blah. And it's just not. They're like super nimble motorcycles, and the the weight balance and the way that they perform is so good. I wasn't a real big believer until I got on the road until and rode on that factory contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This, is, this, is, this podcast isn't sponsored by Harley <laughs> <laughs> No, in 2020, I actually rode a road glide for the first time. Um, uh, shout out Eagle Rider. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I was blown away. I was blown away at how good the bike was. Like, what's your What's your favorite Harley? I have not ridden a road glide yet. And but I really like the lowrider ST. We're gonna have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a what we call a take home fleet. So we have a bunch of motorcycles. Like from April to October, we can just take those bikes home. That's cool. But Josh does not have. He's a contractor and doesn't have that same right. So he, like, it's just so he has to ride on the back. back. No, he's not even allowed to do that. He's not even allowed to do that. But that would be really That's funny. That's so funny. Just <laughs> picture that. that. He'd be either. like so yeah. high. <laughs> I like the we used to we had a breakout, you know what a yeah. breakout is? Yeah, well, do your research, dude. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, you're funny. <laughs> Don't to me, dude. <laughs> uh, I like the breakout that we had one. We had one coming to the dealership like a couple of years ago. It was like all tricked out. The guy had bags on it, right? Those are the ones that they just sit on the frame. It was pretty sick. Yeah, I like that Who, platform, John? like the whole soft tail platform. <laughs> no, John's got a, a chopper with a 26 inch front wheel, <laughs> chromed out. I love you should it ride too. one. Just like come over and we'll make you ride one. They're they're, they're really so fun. funny. We had um we had an eval ride at Blackhawk, so we just rented Blackhawk and invited a bunch of the engineers that were working on a certain project, and everybody was taking like the the new bike and then the current bike. They were doing back to back comparison, so. Each bike we took, we did three laps of Blackhawk with it. So I think, I mean, we had like 12 different bikes that we That's were cool. trying. So we had so many laps around, around Blackhawk. And it was funny because we were supposed to do slow, mid-pace, and then faster. <laughs> but then everybody got more comfortable. So we we're just like, we we're just sending it and like dragging food bags or like floorboards. <laughs> but it's like at the end of that day, I was like, dude, I actually can see myself buying a Harley in the future because... Like that torque is so cool. Like you, you just hit the throttle and it's just this big rumbling of an engine, and it, it's it's all about the experience. And if you're riding on the street, it's actually pretty fun. I mean, mm. take an R1. I have an R6. Like I don't, I don't even ride it on the street. I hate it. But yeah, I could see having like a comfy bike that looks kind of cool. Just like, would you have flames on it, dude? Oh man, I don't know. No, probably just a, probably some glitter <laughs> and like a couple skulls on it. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Knees in the breeze, brother. Knees in the breeze. <laughs> Would you have a skull cap? <laughs> no, I'd have a full face helmet. And some chaps. And some chaps. <laughs> What's the, what the tassels? Oh, I'll tassels. take my cowboy boots from Iowa. There you go. And then just ride that. That's so my funny. other rides are Cummins. <laughs> Stop. I should try to be sponsored by every big company that I worked for. That'd be fun. Yeah. 
No, that's cool. You've worked for all the all the yeah. staple American brands. Yeah, so I know. Far. <laughs> so far. John Deere, yeah. Cummins, and Harley Davidson. Yeah. Harley's so pretty sweet. What's been like the hardest thing about America? Like you've come over. What's the hardest thing? The food. Yeah. Food really? Horrible. What? Yeah. Crepes or pancakes? Ooh. Oh, God. But is a crepe like isn't it just a really thin pancake? It's a very, very thin pancake. <laughs> I'm gonna break your arm. <laughs> I am come from Formula. <laughs> Did you watch Gary Gerloff's recent video? It was so good. I didn't see the full video. I actually saw some clips of it. I really need to watch the full video. The first five minutes. You didn't, it's really hysterical. just the first five minutes. Oh, okay. It's yeah. so good. I saw I saw a few clips of it. I just it was so fun. He's actually so fun. an actor. I think he and his he's, southern accents actually so when good. he puts it on it sounds good. And Loris Paz is so perfect for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. Is. Like the perfect fringe villain. It's fun, like it's it's too bad they're not gonna be in the same team anymore because they're they're a really good pairing. Yeah, that was really yeah. fun. So you also you you also work for another team at Moto America races only, yes. right? Yes. Um, and so sure. that what what is who's that team? So John Orch gets this vision. Will and Ford we'll start Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so what do you do for them? So I am the data engineer for the Supersport program. All of the Supersport guys. So yes. yeah. So that... right now, last year was or this season was two bikes. I don't really know about next season yet. Tyler Scott is returning. We don't really know about the rest. Like everything is going to be figured out. But you have two riders last year. T Cobbs is the second one. T Cobbs was the second one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so they all have their crew chief and their mechanics, and I'm doing data for both. So um, the super sport program has been really cool. I mean, there's there has been, I feel like, a resurgence of super sport in, in, in the world. Um, so in order to have more manufacturers, um, they've opened the class to the, the, the V2, uh, Ducati V2, the GSX-R750. Um, I mean, the April, uh, no. Not the Aprilia, sorry, the uh, MV Agusta is in it. Like, and they're they're not six hundreds, right? They're bigger bikes, but they're all using the spec ECU, um, same ECU for everybody. It's a Mektronic ECU, and like those have maps in it that restrict the throttle, so that like they're all about outputting the same, like around the same horsepower. And so it's been really interesting to see more manufacturers in the paddock, like bigger teams coming, like HSBK coming and fielding a fielding a super sport bike. That was really cool. And I feel like the level of competition has gone up. Um, and it's been really fun for me because it's it's a cool introduction of electronics without being overwhelming like Superbike. So it's a cool, like, it's a really cool step from what I was doing in Twins. Because I really started, in, I did, like, a couple rounds in Junior Cup, um, then did Twins, then then now Super Sport. Yeah, you're pretty, you've gone to the top pretty quick. I mean, you're Not in the a, top you're, yet. yeah, <laughs> but you're in a Superbike team, yeah, yeah. you know, per se. And then, yeah. you know... It, three years yeah right? about that yeah really three three years so what's it like that how different is it right because you were um in the robe robin team yeah right for twins and mainly just going over data i don't know how much you can do on those are on the uh whatever the aprilias are the rs660 we couldn't it was really more rider development and suspension okay um so we had a suspension person that was that was really working on that and could read data um so it was really like working with the riders, comparing the riders, like looking at, you know, throttle and brake inputs and really just like making sure that um, they were riding the bike to the best of its ability, but there was really no work on the engine. And although I, although I come from data, I understand data, I really come from like an engine perspective. So 
like this year actually having throttle maps and being able to tune engine braking like that's more the core of what I've been like professionally doing at Harley Davidson and like all these other companies so it's been really cool this year to finally just use my engine knowledge and start like tuning motorcycles mm -hmm. to some extent tuning motorcycles because we don't really have a lot of so a lot of uh, freedom at some so point. you're on the GSR 750 I mean they've essentially put fly they've put fly-by-wire on that motorcycle, which yeah. is not an easy task. I mean, it's easier now in 2023, but it's not an easy task making it all work. And we've seen, you know, in past, that's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Has that been a big challenge for the 750? And Could you also explain what fly-by-wire is for some people? Because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't actually know what that like is. I actually don't wire. know what it is. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I don't know the technical term. I know what it does. You just fly yeah, by the wire. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like fly-by-wire, drive-by-wire, electronic the throttle. Blades. <laughs> <laughs> they all like They all have different ways of working, but essentially it's like you twist the grip and then it's not directly connected to the throttle plates. It's an electronic. So it's electronic. So there's going to be either a, a motor in between or like you can have on the Harleys, it's a fully electronic throttle. There's no cable. Uh, on those bikes, there's a cable, but it's like there's a motor in between. So essentially you decouple what the the twist grip or like what your hand is doing versus what the engine is actually doing. And you can tune that. You can really like smooth the response where you could potentially like go super hardcore on the gas and like you ask for 50% and like I control it and I only give you like 10% of opening. So that that helps us manage the response of the engine, the response of the bike, and like that allows us to make different modes, which is really cool. Like we can have rain mode, we can have like um we can have like a really like quick response, for example. And it also allows you to cap the engine. So our bikes are limited to 82% throttle. Um, and that's to cap the 750 to make it to to make to make it at the same level as the R6. So the R6 is the benchmark for the whole super sport class. Okay. Um, and the the Panigale, not Panigale, sorry, the V2, um, the MV Agusta, and all of the other bikes like are all tuned and uh, limited in throttle for um, like to meet the level of the R6. Okay. Right, that's pretty smart. Yeah. And then so. <clears throat> how has that been working with two young riders? I mean, probably, I mean, you've worked with Teague before. Yeah. So that's, that's probably good. But working with Tyler Scott, he's uh, come up really, really fast, super talented kid. Um, how's it been working as kind of in the middle and helping both of them, but now having kind of control in some respects over the maps and that, I mean, that's got to put a little pressure on yourself maybe. It's been it's been really interesting. Um, the two riders are very different. They they don't like their bikes set up the same way, and so like I come I come at the problem like okay I understand engines this is how I can deliver the more power the most power but I I had to tailor everything to the rider that I was working with. Um, they've both they've both all like they've been really really good like they've yeah. really stepped in the super sport class. Tyler had been there for about a year. Uh, yeah, he did a full season, had won, I think, one race last year and like had a bunch of podiums. But like he really stepped into like the role of like, you know, I'm the second year rider, like I'm I'm really going to murder the class. And he really did at the end of the season winning, I think, four races. And yeah, I think he's had 10 podiums. Yeah. Um, And we've seen him grow like this 
He started the season with a new crew chief. So Jeremy Torrey is his crew chief this year, or was okay. his crew chief this year. Uh, so new crew chief coming into the coming into the class for the second year, like he has more more pressure, obviously. And like something clicked around, I want to say like around Brainerd or a little bit before Brainerd, something clicked and like he started winning races. And I think it's just he got we got the bike the bike dialed in, but we also got the like the dialogue. It's really I mean even though we have data, the dialogue with the crew chief, like understanding what what the feedback actually means and and trying to really convey that is is quite tough. And you know that, yeah. right? Um, and I think we really we really found something that that really really clicked. And then same thing for Teague. I think he started. He had his first podium at in rookie season in Supersport. Uh, he had his first podium. I think a double podium at Ridge. And same thing like. He really wanted to prove something. We really got the team to gel. And like I was able to give him a bike that was okay for him because the ridge is not really easy to tune a bike for. Um, and yeah, like something started clicking. And started, I think he had like a few podiums uh, throughout the season, like three or four. He impressed me mm. at a few races this year where, I mean, I think the best thing for his career was that he moved up. Mm -hmm. um, he kind of got stuck in the twins a little bit where he was like a podium guy or he could win. And then he just kind of was got stuck. And he, as soon as he jumped up, it was like Daytona 200. We saw him in the lead pack. And I mean, that must've been so much, gave him so much confidence. Now for people, are you having to, are you're working with the crew chief, right? You, yes. right. So say Jeremy toy is, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Jeremy's got a lot of experience himself. And, um, going back to Tyler, there, there wasn't really anything besides just everything clicked mid-season. There wasn't really any big change that happened because it was quite. I mean, he made a pretty big jump. It was there. There was like a good technical side on the chassis side where they they figured out that they were going one direction and they actually found out that like actually going back the other way was the way to go. Um, and that was that was all chassis like kind of out of my hands, right? Yeah. Um. But I think it was mostly a mindset, a mm. mindset change. And Tyler has not crashed a single time this year. Not even at Loudoun, where we had 10 different restarts. Because also, we also did that race, and it was a yeah. red race, and like insane number yeah. of restarts and red yeah. flags. Um, he didn't crash the entire season. So he's got, I mean, honestly, he's got more in the tank. Like yeah. there's, there, this, this kid is really, really impressive. And both of them, Teague and Tyler, have... A really crazy work ethic so it's been really awesome to just you know they come back from they come back from like their session their race even though it might not have gone the way they wanted like they'll sit down they'll take a track map they'll really like put down all of their thoughts on that then they just go cool off and they come back and they give like really good feedback um it's been like a very good i want to say like professional process and it's very well structured mm -hmm. so um, the writers talk to the crew chiefs. The crew chief like tr pretty much translate the information because they they kind of go through the bullshit and yeah they um, like I will have Jeremy be like okay did you pull the data okay let's look at the data so he said this he said that he wants more engine braking but like I think it might be something else and so I process the data I give everything to Jeremy because he can actually look at data really well and then like I look at it on my own I'm like okay like com we compare notes. And then I'm like, okay, maybe maybe we can just like change the gearing here. Like he's hitting the rev limiter, and 
we can make we make our decisions on gearing once we have that set we're like working on our suspensions and then and then it's always engine braking and engine braking is going to be different on basically all the tracks yeah. we're really tailoring it for like the best corner and um I, yeah I, don't, I think i've been changing engine braking at every single track with yeah. too and this really these are the two main levers we have for engine braking and etv maps yeah ETV stands for uh, electronic throttle valve. Okay. So the the drive by wire. Okay. Mm. Um, but I've I've been extremely impressed. Like Tyler is going, he's going to turn eighteen soon, and I think Teague is twenty or twenty one, and they're really young. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. that's insane. And do you, is it is it your dream to move into the superbike? I think eventually, yeah. But I, I've been like you mentioned, I've been growing really really fast. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying the process now. So yeah. I, I just re-signed with uh, Team Hammer for another two years. <laughs> so I signed a two-year contract. Multi-year. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Freaking John, yeah, dude. Special. What are you going to do if, uh, if Factory Harley wants you? They get a, they get the, uh, they get a clause in there or no? I'm going to ask for more money. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. As you should. It's been, it's been fun. I, I wear a lot of hats, but I got to say, just having Harley being my day-to-day job, and being something where I can focus on like behind the scenes and like not having to deal with that at the racetrack. It's, I love it. It's a passion project. It's like, I, I have this really cool job, but I like that when I go to a race weekend, it's different. Mm. It's still sports bikes. It's still, um, I'm helping younger racers move up and like my performance review at the end of the year, like is not, is not based on how I behave at the racetrack. Okay. So I mean, you know, you know, Team Hammer. We're just like we we have like a really good atmosphere. We just yeah. We you know we go we open a beer at the end of the day. Like it's it's very chill. It's very cool. Um, I like that. I like to separate the two. And what I've been doing in the paddocks, like my building my own brand, has really been like it's been interesting because my growth is only the opportunities that people have given me, but it's also what I've done with it. And so I've been able to control that. It's not like a corporate job where I got to apply for promotions. Right? I got to like wait to get a promotion. Yeah. It's like I can get something right away because I've really worked hard for it because I've promoted myself because I've done the work. Like I don't have to go through like a hierarchy of managers and all that. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, honestly, it's been really cool to have Chris and John Ulrich like find me and offering me this opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to do I'm going to try to stay in super sport for the next two years and then like learn from the super bike team that we have and then eventually try to move up. Like we'll see. And is that something that's like, is there, how do I say it? Like if you're in riders, you're trying to be your teammate. Like I don't, it doesn't quite work like that, but you've got some good engineers. I know Ben Fox, he's, he's a pretty smart guy. Um, can you see their data or is that pretty locked up? Like, can you, are you able to look at it and kind of learn from some of the different things? I don't know if you need to learn. I don't know, but yeah, we can, I've, I've sat down with them and like, sometimes we're in a rut or when we are in a rut, like Ben is going to come and like help us just, yeah. it's really good to have another set of eyes. We have, so we have the two super bikes. Each super bike has their own basically crew chief and data engineer. So it's, they're also comparing notes. They're learning about the track. We're all comparing notes on like how the tire is behaving, like yeah. what compounds they're going to use. So it's been really cool. It's it's honestly so busy during a weekend. There's so much to do that it feels like it's really two teams operating under the same, but under the same garage or same tent. But we do like we do have the the opportunity to just go over and very cool. Um, 
I think Laguna, we had an extended race, so we were not doing anything on Sunday. So I was able to just go and just like ask questions. It's fun. Like it's it's definitely a step above, like big step above from what we're doing. Have you gotten any opportunities uh, elsewhere, like outside of motorcycle racing, car racing, that kind of stuff? It seems like there are quite a bit of opportunities in drag racing. Um, there's a lot more money in drag racing. There's a lot of money in cars, but I think I, I'm still trying to stay focused on motorcycles. There are like I've I've had opportunities with AIM for to just tag along at other events. Uh, we're all going to PRI, the Performance Racing Industry Show in Indy, in December. So like all of the different, so we have AIM has maybe 10, 12 employees, like full-time employees that do also uh, cover racetracks for different race series. Like everybody has their own kind of like special race series. So some guys are going to do IMSA, other guys are going to do like the go-kart stuff. Some guys are going to do more of the off-roads. I'm I'm a, like a contractor with AIM, so I'm doing the motorcycle stuff. Uh, but there also there are other people like me who are not like full-time AIM employees, but they have their little niche and they're helping mm -hmm. as well. So... Everybody is going to PRI and it's like this really cool trade show where like everybody gets to meet each other and like we're talking about like how the different race series are and mm -hmm. so like opportunities kind of Super arise cool. from that. Yeah. What do you yeah. think uh, in terms of, I know personally because of having run teams, how difficult it is to find engineers. Do you feel that there's a shortage of that in the u.s or is it mostly just because there's not a lot a lot of money in motorcycle racing i think it's because there's not a lot of money in motorcycle racing i think we can do like honestly the beggars are a really good thing for that because it's bringing people from like vincent hines from sns like people that are engineers uh in like performance companies or shops um there are a lot of people that do what i do at harley hmm. and but the thing is trying to convince them to to take their time off and yeah. Do it. The problem is, if you were to do IndyCar, um, you're a full-time employee of like GM or Ilmore or like and those guys are contracted to go to the racetrack to support the teams as engineers. And everybody who works in a team in IndyCar is a full-time employee of that. Like same thing in MotoGP. The problem with Moto America is we only have ten rounds. You can't really make yeah. a living out of just ten rounds. So it has to be like a passion project. Mm. And not everybody has the flexibility that we have. So at Harley, we are in hybrid mode since COVID. So we, we can work from home whenever whenever we want or whenever like it's, it makes sense. So during the season, I, like, I have a really, really awesome manager that's like, as long as your job is done, like you can do whatever you want. Um, so I get to travel. It's a lot of work. Like I'm, I'm working when we're traveling. Sometimes I have to take a call when I'm at the racetrack, but I get to do both, which is really cool. Um, that wasn't available before COVID. Like, mm. I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I think with this more like hybrid workforce, maybe you can poach engineers from different companies mm -hmm. and be like, hey, just like come try that. I've been trying to talk people into <laughs> it, um, but it has to be serious and it has to be. I mean, we we all come up from a, we come from a corporate environment. We know what it is to respect a contract, have NDAs, all of that, and. Um, it's not always like that in the paddock. Like yeah. It's not always yeah. as like structured, um, but it's growing. I think it's getting better and better. Yeah, that was my my next question. Was like, is this something if you didn't have the the day to day, a full time job, would you actually be able to do what you're doing? Which it sounds like the answer is probably not. Probably no. Um, 
I think I'd have to ramp it up and probably just like dab into cars or like come here very often. Mm. Uh, which I mean, maybe it's do possible, a lot of like, track days and stuff and really yeah. grow Hustle. grow yeah. that out and be. Uh, what's it? The unicorn. Just put it out there. Yeah, the <laughs> unicornium. That's the brand. Is that what your unicornium. brand is called? Unicornium. Oh, yeah, unicornium you. engineering. <laughs> there, was, there was there was wine involved. In that <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I got that LLC. I do support. Um, I can do like Zoom meetings where I just review somebody's data and we go over it. But it's, I don't know. I've never really had my own company and done that a hundred percent. So I don't know if it's something that would be sustainable. Yeah, it could. It it. Mm. Very much could. Well, I think um, it be more like every year, more and more people just know who you are. Yeah. Right. So it just, I think, spirals. I'm gonna be famous after that. Yeah. Like, after crazy. this podcast, it's gonna, years, right? it's gonna blow. Easy. Up. This is huge. Yeah. What about uh, you know? Obviously, there's not a ton of female females in general in Moto America. I think you, um, Melissa Paris. Um, I don't know how many others work and work on it on a team level. Um, do you think that? Have you felt the difference or have you felt like there's any stigma around that? You know, you being a girl coming into a team that's mostly dominated by by men? The first the first season was hilarious. So the the very first season nobody knew me. I was just working for privateers and and like I remember just like going into conversations where people were talking about how they were building their engines, how they were tuning them and just kind of like having those like <laughs> kind of pissing context about what they were doing and it was just like I would just drop in the conversation and like I guess I was looking completely unassuming like people didn't know what I understood and so that was really fun <laughs> um so I it's not so much the stigma it's just they didn't like they would see me and be like oh she's probably somebody's girlfriend <laughs> um I people don't do that around me anymore yeah. it's kind of too bad um I wish I could go to India and it's like they would start spilling secrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the I, I haven't been able spy. to like be a spy like that. Um, even at events in high, like we had a track day at NCM, and I started just like looking at the bikes and just like asking a couple questions. And the guy was like, "Hey, I know who you are." <laughs> hey, hey, like, oh, crap. <laughs> hey, you think you guys have spies yet? Us? Is it got like that? Yeah, where it's like GP, where you guys have a guy sitting across the track just taking pictures. Uh, I think they do. Or Every, we everybody's do got that. I, I got, don't think you, we have that, but like everybody, like everybody pays attention. You have yeah, to. Yeah, There's, I mean, you put something on a bike and what's the Teague's walking over? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, it's nothing, everybody's man. like, and the thing yeah, is, right. There's yeah. so many social media posts. Like the bikes are out there, so you can see. And like, like you guys, when you guys had the. The Vincent Heist team had the whole shot device. Dude, greatest like, thing ever. I'm it was awesome. I'm, like, I'm so some... bummed that I didn't even get a real start on it. It was like... They outrolled it right away. Uh, so we did one start. was at huh? Road America, right? Road yeah, America. it was Road America. But the yeah. problem is, is I got nervous because my practice start, when I locked it down, I just lit the rear up. So I got nervous to try it in the, um, in the challenge, oh, yeah. and then it rained. I believe, or it was going to rain. It rained in that, and then it did. I don't know actually. I don't what happened. remember either. But anyways, but I didn't get to. I didn't get to try it in a race, and then it got outlawed. Well, why did they outlaw it? What did they say it was? Uh, they well, pretty much they just didn't want it on there. Even though Vance and Hines, credit to them, said they would sell it to every single team for like under three hundred bucks. Hmm. Yeah, they were like, and it was an easy. It was Josh, great guy. This guy designed this thing. It was so good it was the easiest thing in the world mm. literally you hit this button piece goes out 
put the brake on, goes down, it locks. Hmm. I'm like, like every super bike should use it. Like <laughs> it would go, they would sell them to every person in the paddock, like huh. overnight. It was, I thought it was awesome. That's a really like, good when example we, of like beggar, beggar development. People <laughs> are just like going above and beyond, just like trying to find every single little And that's the one thing of Vance and Hines is that, uh, you know, they were such a small team, they could pivot. They're not the Titanic, you know, they're just a little pirate boat out there. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> I'm the captain now. Now, you, now you're on a cruise ship. So, I, yeah. A cruise ship, so yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Take a Disney long turn that thing around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, that, that's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a unique thing that you're able to make such quick strides um, and also be able to work for a team like M4 and it kind of gives you a little bit of, um, I don't know, credibility, I guess, if you will, yeah. for, for not having been around for so long. And motorcycle racing in general, I think, is like a good old boys type of sport where it's like, you know, you really have to break through to get people's trust for them to to bring you into their circle, especially with a team like M4 who's been around for so long. So. They're probably the longest standing team currently. I think yeah, they they've got to be. Yeah. 43 for sure. years good number yeah but i mean i th it is true though because you just hear the same names <laughs> yeah right yeah man oh, i don't get a crew chief this year it's the same people right yeah. we we did it last year yeah oh man i don't know who we're gonna do and it's like yeah. it's the same five six seven people that you're like i've maybe worked with them or i've heard great things or this and it's it's pretty hard i would say as a rider it's pretty hard to take a shot on somebody new that you don't know because we especially in america everybody's living one year you know like almost everybody is living one year at a time and you're really living six months like if it's in six months you're not doing the job dude you brown bread see you later i like brown bread <laughs> dude what's wrong with brown bread <laughs> so it's uh english term it's cockney so they call it. Okay. So they like rhyme on words. <laughs> You're right. Are you? The tea got you. It's spiked. My water is spiked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. That's funny. That's actually hilarious. Um, no, it is true though. But it's it's also hard, and you you can probably speak more to this. But you know, for for people to find one, you have to be good. Because nobody wants somebody that sucks. <laughs> 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 Two, you have to be able to work on the weekends mm -hmm. and usually have another job that lets you take Thursday and Friday off because we all can't pay you enough to and be a full-time employee and Monday. Yeah. yeah. Normally um, the pay is not what anyone deserves. Yeah. And so the prerequisites are pretty high. Um how do you suggest people go out and find more people like you? Are there more people like you out there? No, there are. There are a lot of more a lot more people. Um, my suggestion is always like, if you can start people young, there's a lot of people that are going to engineering school that like motorcycles. I mean, get people to start when they're in college and just like, if they go club racing, if they, if they, ha I mean, you have to ride. I think you have to ride. You have to correlate that feel of what the bike does with the data, even though like I'm not fast enough to trigger all of the traction control limits and in my wheelie control and everything. But like, I understand like, like throttle response. So starting club racing um, and then like maybe hire those, those kids, like those young engineers that ride at the same time that like foster that. Like I think 
it seems like we have an age gap in the in the paddock. Like mm. you have people like Stamboli and the whole attack team. Where it seems like you have to be fifty Did you years old. Say Rispoli. Is that what you said? I said Stamboli. Oh, I thought you oh. said Rispoli. Strom- I, I thought you said Stromboli. I thought you said Rispoli. <coughs> yeah, Rispoli, fifty years old. You know, <laughs> it's Rispoli. <laughs> No, but like the whole attack team, it seems like they're 50 and above. Like they really don't have a lot of young up and comer there. So it seems like you have this kind of this generation of like 50 years old and then a, a few young people like our age. And there's not that much in the middle. And I think we really need to like bridge that gap. Mm, yeah. So like, what do you do? Like just try to get new people, foster them, train them, you know. It'd be really cool if they would do like, uh, I don't know, like, in Wisconsin, if there was that school that they could come to Road America and have some of their top young kids or just anybody that liked bikes or something mm-hmm. and, and to be able to come and oversee some data for the day you know to see, see if they get the bug. Have you ever heard of Formula SAE? F- what? Formula SAE. So S- it's, it's a? a program. SAE. SAE is the Society of Automotive Engineers. It is a, it's a club, like it's something, extracurricular activity you can do in college. Extracurricular. (laughs) After school, whatever. Is that like capitalism? Yeah, it's so hard to say. (laughs) I can say it. What is it? it? Capitalism. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, I've been practicing it a lot. That's what Josh said. (laughs) 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 He put me on the step, on the spot. Uh, Like, no, Formula SAE is like this club that, where students build a car, like a race car. And so they usually okay. take like, um, it's a CBR 600 engine most of the time, uh, MoTeC, ECU. And so they're doing the whole thing. Like they're building the engine, they're setting up the car, they're building the chassis, the all the body work and everything. And like data system on it and everything. So you've got a lot of engineers, like student engineers that are growing through the ranks and doing that. And they're using it to get a job at, all the big three in Detroit, you know, but they could also, like, if we if we were to tell them, hey, you can do this job on the weekend, you're a student, you have time, we're going to pay you, like, whatever, some, like, a starting wage, like, those kids could actually be really, really good yeah. just doing data engineering, especially if they ride themselves. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, look at who's uh, Gerloff's guy, the ginger kid, who's, uh, I mean, he's super young. Andy Levers. Yeah, I mean, he came from... In he BSB. raced in BSB, I think, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and he came, he was so young. He's but you're always different, they have schools for that. Like, they have schools for motorcycle engineering in Europe. No, I understand, but, like, it's good to see is what I'm saying. I'm not yeah. saying, it's yeah, good yeah. to see, like... Why do you think that's different than just because there's so much more racing in Europe? Dude, bikes are just, that's it. There's a, there's a culture in Europe. There's a huge culture for motorcycles. It's been there forever, I mean... Look at the number of motorcycle companies yeah. that there are. So, the, so Italy has a really good program. Um, there's a school in Wales. 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 Uh, it's called University of Trinidad. Something. Um, they have a full. They have a bachelor of motorcycle engineering and a master's of motorcycle engineering. Wow. And I know two of their engineers. Um, we're at American Racing. They're now gone. Um, Where'd they go? <clears throat> one uh, left mid-season and went to work for BMW Motorhead. And he's helping, he's supporting World Superbike. That's cool. Uh, the other one, I think, is going to KTM. They have two other guys at KTM. They're all in Moto2 for some reason, but they have those guys like in the MotoGP paddock. There's like basically a bridge 
between that school and MotoGP. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like MotoGP engineers have like it's grown quite a lot, and they've been stealing a ton from Formula One and all these other series, and just engineers in period, mm-hmm. not just. Um, and you, I feel like it's becoming a thing. Just, I, w- I guess, with all be- everything becoming so data intensive. You know, and everything becoming more plug and play. Do you see? I guess this is a pretty interesting question. Do you see AIM or another manufacturer implementing data stock, like having a motorcycle <clears throat> come out with data on it's it? It's done already. Okay. So Kramer. Okay. The Kramers come stock with uh, AIM dash. The RTHC, the KTM RTHC, comes stock with an AIM dash, mm-hmm. full data and everything. The Ducatis um, come with DDA, they call it. The Ducati comes with DDA. The R1 comes with uh, the like the YCC something. It's it's, it's, it's actually like pretty cool. It's an app like through your phone. You can get all the data. Is that like suspension pots and stuff? You no. can add pots. I think to the Ducati one. You okay. can add uh, BMWs. Okay. I think have stuff. Um, mm. All right. So yeah, yeah like forget the, that I asked. The no, it's it's good to know. So somebody came up uh, earlier today and he wanted to set up. A, so AIM has something called the Smarty Cam. It's it looks like a GoPro kind of, but you can do data overlay. So you you connect it to the dash or whatever data acquisition system you have, and like you can overlay brake pressure, lean angle, RPM like on the video. So That's it looks really like cool. looks like a video game, but it's super cool because like sometimes you don't know like why you're rolling off the gas. Is it because you're a wuss in the corner, or is it because you actually have traffic, or like is there something there? Um, so we set it up and. The bike came with um, we call it the MXM dash. It's it's one of the dash that uh, dashes that AIM makes, and like the whole thing had like the Kramer logo engraved and everything. Mm. Um, so he just essentially bought the camera, and it was pretty much plug and play. It took me like five minutes basically to set it up. It's cool. So it's coming. When I started in Junior Cup in 2020, um, I kind of hopped in like at the end of the season. I did three rounds. So I did the indie round and like Barber Indy and Laguna, like uh, they were not allowed to have data loggers. They were not about they were not allowed to have data loggers connected to the ACU. So they could do like the very simple uh, aim logger. The next year they were allowed to have data systems. And then twins, the same thing. Like they started with um, like simple data logger, and then like the next year they were allowed to have potentiometers and everything. And then the next year after that, they were allowed to have like full on Motec ECU, <laughs> like that over three <laughs> years. And it, like, I don't think I pushed that at all, but it seems like it grew. Like I, I probably just came up, came up at the right time. Yeah. Baggers, like the very first year, baggers were not allowed to have any data. Yeah. Year after, they're like, all right, brake pressure, you can, yeah. potentiometer, you can. Well, I know when they're fighting for more <clears throat> stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's been an ongoing thing, you know, um, and it's it makes it tough because the more the more data you have on the more people you need or the more expensive person you need to have run it. Um, so it's that never ending battle. But I feel like the bikes come so good stock now that it's probably your first person to get if you were going to be racing. But so I guess this will bring us right into our Law Tigers tech tip. Big pivot there. Um, Everybody, if Law Tigers is our sponsor, um, please call Law Tigers at 1-800 and Corey hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Law Tigers are America's motorcycle lawyers. A motorcycle accident isn't something you ever expect to have happen, but it does. (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry, sorry, dude. 
I just, dude, I just love the way you do this, dude. <laughs> I love it. All right. Keep going. Do, <laughs> keep going. If you do, if you do happen to need legal advice, call our friends over at Law Tigers. If you or someone you know has ever been injured in a motorcycle accident, services are of no cost to riders and they fight to get us riders taken care of and back out on the road. With Law Tigers, you never ride alone. True. It's going to happen. So call 911, then call Law Tigers. 1-800-LAW-TIGERS. There you go. Give them a ring. Okay. Back to it. What's your tip? What's my tip? Um, buy buy an MSOLO 2DL for your bike. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> but Exactly. What? But like honestly, just and don't buy a Mac. You have to have a PC. Oh, but no. But everything else is free. Okay. And the, the software is free. It's awesome. So, but for, what would you say, as just expanding on this, for a Tractay person... Um, getting into it, and they do get, say, the the aim dash or whatever that does it. What would you say the number, the one first thing or the first two, three things that they should be looking at, or what is the most important thing for somebody just starting out, and how do you get better quick using data? Like the very first thing <clears throat> really is going to be your position around the track and like your GPS speed. So even if you have just that information, you can you can compare lap to lap, so you can see like where your corner speed is getting better, like how fast you're accelerating. You can see your top speed. You can see your braking points because you see like where the the speed is decreasing. <clears throat> um, that's like the number one thing. And any lap timer is or any GPS based lap timer is going to give you that, which is awesome. Um, then the next thing you want is going to be once you're more familiar with like comparing laps. You really want to have your yeah your throttle position like your grip position, and then brake pressure because that way you can see like really what you're doing and the inputs you're putting in the bike. Um, like something that helps me a ton is just like the speed at which I'm transitioning like off the gas directly on the brakes. Like you want that to be a straight line down, and most of the time when like you don't really know what you're doing, you realize that you're re- you're really actually really slow in your inputs. Like you're gonna have you're gonna roll off the gas easy and then you're gonna grab the brakes. And just like having full awareness of what you're doing, it's like those are like super easy, uh, low hanging fruits that you can pick up and just like pick up seconds. Really, I mean, at, at the club racing level, it's just it's pretty easy. So those those essentially four things: okay. uh, position around the track, speed around the track, uh, throttle position, and brakes. And you can get that with uh, Solo Two DL. Okay. Um, because now we have the it's a little plug. Uh, there is a new product that AIM uh, just launched like a couple months ago. It's called the ACC for analog to can converter. And it's a little box where you can plug sensors into the, the Solo 2DL. So Solo 2DL is this big. Um, it was initially just GPS data and ECU data. And now you can add sensors to it. So, I mean, it's probably the most affordable data system you can ever get. Um, Compared to comparatively with other brands. Okay. What so would be the the three big sensors you suggest people get? Uh, obviously, ECU stuff for your throttle and whatnot. But then, yeah. uh, brake pressure sensor and then front potentiometer and rear potentiometer. So it tells you like how the bike is actually moving. That's pretty much like all you need. Yeah. I mean yeah. that you can, you could essentially go Moto America with that. Yeah. I mean you don't really need to know what the motor's doing a lot of the time. Like if. Yeah, yeah, people go to Moto America with way less than that, actually. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's, and the fact that you can do it with um, just like the Solo 2DL that's like fits in your pocket 
it's it's like so simple the fact that you made it so accessible too i mean i remember like for me it was always motec morelli or it was that stuff you just could never get it or it was the yosh box you know like that's what we raced on like that's yeah. what we raced the yosh box or yeah. the and then uh you know graves always had morelli yeah. and like on 600 so to make data super accessible i think it's a pretty cool thing moving quickly into what do you think the like looking further out five years i don't even know if you can look at this but like what's the evolution look like like where are we going with data i think i think more and more people are just going to have it like de facto they're going to go either it's going to come up uh, come with the bikes um we're going more and more uh towards spec ecus which is kind of interesting to me um so take super sport right now everybody has access to maps uh, we can we can turn like base base maps and uh, and like throttle response so i think it seems like we're gonna go more towards that because you can go against electronics more bikes have electronics look at the zx4rr right now the thing has auto blipper, quick shifter, anti-wheelie. It's a 400. <laughs> what? But it's got the whole thing. It's got more electronics than the than the ZX6. And the GSX-R1000. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. The bike's 20 years old. Yeah, so. Dude, it's crazy. So it's, I think we're, we're getting to a point where everything is going to be customizable. And you're going to need to have that, that those, like, those basic skills. You're going to have that understanding. And then tech electric bikes. And that's another level. I mean, the new the new Stark bikes, they come with like a phone holder. You can put any phone on that. And then you can like, you can choose how much horsepower you want the bike to, to deliver. Or, yeah, so you can have you like, you can do like, I think 90 horsepower or you can have it like, like 40 horsepower. Yeah, that's crazy. It is yeah. crazy. What do you think about AI? You think that's going to get into data analysis and all that kind of stuff? So we use it to some extent. I mean, AI is a very big word, but machine learning. So mm. using using sensors and applying physics concepts to spit out data. It's something that we already use. So it's actually a big, a big, big part of my job where we're, we'll have the engine dyno to sweep the entire operating space of the engine. So we're, we're going to move throttle and RPM and then get data at different points. We're going to change spark timing. We're going to, uh, we're going to change like cam phasing if we have phasers and then log like what the airflow is, what the temperatures are, what the torque value is, etc. And then we essentially take like those 2,000 points of data and then we optimize it. So like in this region, I want best fuel economy. In this region, I want best power. And <clears throat> we build our Spark maps like that. So it's already integrated. But the things that I think separates us from like us engineers from like a dyno tuner out there with the shop is we have access to um, sensors that read the cylinder pressure. And something you only see on engine dynos. Um, I read a paper not too long ago that says that Formula One is using that on board. So if you know the cylinder pressure and you know, like, you basically know everything about the behavior of your combustion, like a lot about the behavior of your combustion. So you know where spark timing is, you know where if the engine is knocking. And so <clears throat> instead of having a spark map, you can just tell, like, okay, spark here. Because you know, like, how the curve of the pressure is. So you know what the maximum pressure is at. Um, where the what does that actually at? mean? So, <laughs> in your piston, <laughs> yeah, no like, what does that actually like, equate oh to? This, what you feel on the yeah, track? So, like, what, this is great. Oh, it's like it's something that you can't even feel because it's it's one revolution of right. your of your engine. So, like, your piston's pushing up. I guess what is it? What does this tell you? Tell you to to make better? It's it's and they're doing it in real time. In Formula One, they're doing it in real time, which is absolutely amazing. 
So if um, if you're pushing your gases too much, is getting too hot. Um, it, you can have a cases, for example, where like you have your your flame coming down in your cylinder. So picture like a big flame prong coming down, but then like conditions are so bad or so perfect for it that like you have another ignition somewhere else, and that's that's knock. So like imagine like your flame is coming down, and then you have like um, a fireworks in your cylinder that's starting. So like that's going to be pushing down on your piston when you really don't want it. It's going that's uncontrolled combustion. Um, and you don't really control when that happens, but when you see that, you usually hear that like knocking sound on your engine, or you can see if you have cylinder pressure data, you can see your pressure going like crazy. Like mm. it's, it spikes, like it's a firework in your engine. So when you see that, if you have cylinder pressures, you can be like, okay, we're going to retard timing. And that takes care of it because it actually just reduces the power that the engine is making. You have less force on the piston. You have you're building less pressure and less heat in the so, in the cylinder. So why would it change like conditions? Yep. Like so yeah. conditions like temperature. Like temperatures, for example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like hot spots. Like you have it, like for example a little debris in the in the cylinder, like a, an oil particle that's floating, and it's like it, you're already at like really high RPM you're you're like really full throttle and it's like building heat in the engine and so like it's going to it's going to auto ignite essentially like in front of the flame hmm. so it's that's like undesirable combustion and like we so just pj's eb strategy all last year <laughs> 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 our uh talk <coughs> uh, <laughs> but so when that happens it can destroy your engine so usually we have knock sensors, they're little accelerometers on the engine and they kind of sense the vibration and the, the noise that the engine is making. And so that sends, it's really hard to tune. Um, that sends a message to the ECU and it says, okay, retard timing. But if okay. you have those sensors, they're like, not the knock sensors, but if you have the, the sensors we're using in engine dyno, those are like $4,000 a sensor. Wow. With the whole like data And that's not even changing it live. That's a whole that, other layer to it. That right? would be changing it live. Yeah. So you could you? That, so could you, like, I don't know how deep we can go, but could you technically have that? Like, could you you just put that on the bagger and use them live, like out of a race scenario? Yeah, but you'd have to pack the bags with a ton of like amplifiers and signal oh, processing. So I don't okay. know how they do it really okay, okay. in Formula One. Okay. But yeah, like, I don't know why they I'm must thinking have it's like, like Bluetooth. <laughs> no, I, like you, I don't know how they do it in Formula One, but they must have like crazy computing power, like embedded into the car because like you're getting, you're getting data point at every crank angle. So like run rotation is like 360 degrees, and usually we take 10 data points per crank angle, so it's like 3600, right? So like it's a ton of data points at all time. And you're feeding that into an ECU that has to process everything really, really fast. It's crazy, but Formula One is doing it. And so that's like, that's already more like AI based because the engine or the the processing system sees everything to. real time. And yeah. then it's making decisions based on that, based on like a physics model where we tell it like, we want, we want those conditions and it's like reacting to it. We, yeah, we're not there yet on motorcycles. We we're not there yet on cars even. But for some reason, Formula One has figured it out, and like that's really intriguing to but me. But didn't they mm. take in MotoGP? They took away a lot of the adaptive. Yeah, you can't do a lot of lot of. You can't do stuff. yeah, you can't do like it used to like in the beginning of the race, and it would change toward the end of the race just 
because yeah. or it would learn like the old Morelli or whatever it was that they it's, were doing. It's funny. We don't really know what the, the engine tech is in MotoGP. No, like we know they're using um, like air springs. But like as far as engine strategy and stuff like that, it's really, really secret. Like it's really hard to find good literature on like what the strategies are. And yeah, hmm. like we thought we we hear about arrows a lot. Like they're always talking about arrows. They're always talking yeah. about the tire pressure roll and all that. But like nobody's really talking about mm. the engines. Like I don't really know much about the, the GP engines. It's very kept on the and that's And it's so crazy that you, you've got like Ducati and then where they come from two, three years ago, all everybody on a screamer engine. And then now everybody's sw totally changed their approach. And it's, it's so crazy because everyone, you know, especially all the riders when they're, oh, we need more power, but it's more about grip and lane grip. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, I think the whole thing is fascinating. I think you have enough, we have enough power to make the motorcycle move. We need, really need to manage the power down to the ground. And that's and what, that, that's the tough part. That was like mm. Ducati's whole thing for the last 20 years. They've always been the fastest motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about electric? Is that a scary prospect or an intriguing prospect for somebody like you? Obviously, you're smart enough, but you're going to learn. And, and what you do will apply in some shape or form to electric stuff. But uh, Oh, wow. I didn't for, even think about that. For an expert on combustion. <laughs> yeah, oh I'm such a hardcore combustion person. But I think part of what I do with motorcycle data is like that's applicable on on like electric bikes you're still going to have brakes you're still going to have throttles you're still going to have some kind of like power management and so i i do i do think that this kind of side job that i'm doing in moto america is is really going to help me bridge that like see mm. if let's say harley goes crazy and says we're not going to have any more internal combustion engines in like five years I think I could easily pivot, yeah, and I could pivot in racing even e even more easily. Um, I don't see that happening. It doesn't seem like it's a direction we're taking. We have Livewire, and I can't speak for the company. I don't really know, but I know we have Livewire. Like they're looking into electric bikes, but as Livewire far as sick, yeah, it's pretty cool. But as as far as like where the world is going with internal combustion engines, we still have a few years. I think I can probably finish my career. Think about this, though. There's going to be a certain time when there's going to be an engineer that's not going to ha have ever heard or looked at a combustion engine. That's pretty scary to think about. When yeah. you think about it, like there's going to be somebody like you that you, I mean, whatever, be like. It's like me and carburetors. Like I don't know how to work on a carburetor. I mean, I, I've taken one apart. But that's about it. Yeah. It's like I guess like a coal engine or something, right? I mean, you probably don't know much about coal yeah. engines. It's or like maybe I, do, I understand how they yeah. work, but it's not like I have a lot <laughs> I know, of experience on it. but it's just scary it. to think about when you think. I mean, it's not scary, but it's just crazy to think that probably in our future. All right, boomer, relax, dude. It's not changing that quick. <laughs> dude, ten rental run, properties, baby. <laughs> yeah, it it's uh, it's interesting, and I know that the master's degree that I've done is struggling a little bit to find people. They've they've had to pivot towards like defense contracts and and like hybrid work and more like more electronic works like how the ECU manages like all those strategies so like i mean we have to learn we have to expand our horizons yeah. and like start learning other skills but i think yeah like as far as how far how fast a motorcycle is going around the track and like how much throttle input you put like it doesn't really matter the no. power train yeah, exactly. what about didn't Kawasaki have yeah. a hydrogen yeah. hybrid 
Yeah, they're working on hydrogen. They just just released it. I still have to read the article, but Kawasaki is cool. They're they're really pushing a lot of the different like technologies, but they're huge. Like they actually make gigantic marine engines, boats, and trains. Trains. They're massive and train, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like there's a lot of development on hydrogen, uh, natural gas. I was doing a lot of natural gas and propane work on big engines. So Whoa. yeah, there's like they're probably taking a lot of the learnings from like what they're doing in the in the marine space and then applying it to motorcycles. What's the biggest the most horsepower you've ever seen of an engine? I don't know. Oh. I've worked on the biggest engine I've worked on is a fifteen liter uh Daimler engine, truck engine. What does that mean? Fifteen liter like how many? Like like it's as big as this room. Like it's bigger than the oh. table. Oh wow. Yeah. Fifteen liters. Okay, how many? Yeah. So it's like it goes into those oh, like big a, your semis. Truck is like a like a six point seven liter or something. Yeah. Wow. Like your truck is probably like a six. Yeah, six point seven V six or V eight. No, I think. What is it? It's got a Chevy. A Chevy. Chevy. Got a yeah. V eight. Yeah, it's V8. probably like it's it's probably around like six <laughs> six something liters. Cold yeah. start V eight. <laughs> the Benson Hines on the back. We <laughs> have to trade those in for some screaming eagles. Yeah, I know, man. You get clipped, <laughs> rolling Daytona. You're clipped. <laughs> Breach. <laughs> Terry's gonna come and take those things. <laughs> Dude, it's gonna get repoed. <laughs> Terry's under, oh. underneath your catalytic converter, just cutting your exhaust. I would. Off. I'd come unglued. I didn't uh, even know Vincent Hines made truck stuff. I thought they, they just were just started. like doing... They're pivoting, yeah. They just started. Wow. Yeah, they just started. They were at SEMA the last two years. Um, I've got the first Chevy truck exhaust uh, for the... Silverado? Silverado 1500. Yeah. yeah. You're really going to have to give it back. Dude, it rumbles. <laughs> it rumbles, man. He got it put on. He's like, dude, I don't know. Man. Dude. I don't know if I can do this. Dude. Well, they told me it wasn't loud. That's the thing. They're like, it's not loud. It's not loud. I'm like, Mike, the president, or the uh, CEO. I'm like, Mike, is this thing loud? He's like, no, no, no. Sounds good. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. Guy puts it on. I roll in back to the where they did it. And he's like, man, this thing sounds good. And I was like, <laughs> Sweet, but I just I don't know why I had zero concept that it like I don't know started up and it's just like whoa and I'm like I'm like oh my is it a diesel no no that's no he's one of those like Florida guys you know what I mean with the V8 it's (laughs) so it's so loud it's it sounds great it sounds really really good but it's loud like it's really loud it's like it sounds like a car when if you start it up with a cold start it's like yeah. Like you're a bagger racer through and through. through Big and through. trucks. Yeah. like Flames everywhere. Yeah. Dude, stop. <laughs> They'll never take you back in BSB. Like, it's, it's over. Oh, dude. You guys are going to BSB next year, baby. We're doing it. You're doing it. We're doing it. You heard it here first. Just <laughs> <laughs> got the rumor mill going. Yeah. Go um, Higgs. <laughs> well, we're at the two-hour mark. Um, it's been super cool to have you on and learn a lot about Shit, I had no clue about. It's crazy. Whatsoever. We didn't really know where this was gonna go, but I'm yeah. um, like, it's really cool. Uh, you were able to really put it down into layman's terms, and that was really cool. And I think it's awesome that you're our first—I don't want to say non-racer, but first industry person. Mm-hmm. First nerd. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, 
just because you're not a racer doesn't mean you get to skip out on the last part. And I, I think you listened to our podcast. Dude, she you was, know she's coming. been prepping for it. It's just crepes, crepes, <laughs> crepes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a crazy story really quick. So uh, Paris, Eiffel Tower. Um, how many times have you been there? Um, I went to high school close to Paris. Okay, so have you? do you know... Dude, this could be really cool. Do you know the uh, crepe stand right across the street? <laughs> so I, I knew it was going to be some. Which one of the 3,000? No, it's the one if you're looking. It's like asking if you know of a hot dog truck in New York City. <laughs> Stop. It's literally, it's the it's the only one. There's not a 1,000. There's literally one on the corner. There's the water. It's, no, you've no. never, what? You've never done no. a crepe there? No. No, because crepes are actually from where, like, I'm from, from my region. So you Ooh, she's called Brittany. Him. She's claiming the crepe. Like, we're claiming the crepes. Crepes and si- crepe and cider. All right, before we go into this, because I, I don't I want... Thought cider I, was American. Yeah. Fall, baby. It, what? You didn't... The cider's not... Apple cider? French. It's French. You guys even have apples in France? It's much better. Have you ever tried Freedom Fries? No. <laughs> no. I uh, I convert them into French fries. <laughs> <laughs> so... Before we ask this question, what's your favorite? Like, what's the go-to crepe in France? Or um, it's like super simple. It's butter and sugar. Huh. Okay, yeah. wasn't like, like warmed up. Yeah. Okay, Nutella too. Like Nutella, <laughs> Nutella is like up there, but like the the simplest one, like butter on the pan. Like you put your cup in it, sugar and actually lemon juice. Like so like the one I had across was Nutella pistachio ice cream. What? Yeah. Other fake. Ooh, so good. Ice cream on top of it? Mm. Sounds yeah. Americanized, right? Yeah. Have like you ever been to an trip. IHOP? No. You've never been to an international? I think that You've could never just been to the pancakes? The international. You know who right. loves crepes? Jean Girard. <laughs> who, who? Rich Millman. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Do you know who that is? He's so bougie. The guy that owns Garage 3. IHOP, Florentine Crepe. <laughs> After your championship, the guy <laughs> dies for them. Like, Dude, after your championship, he was like, he made sure everybody got up to go to IHOP. Yeah, like, and he won't go alone. Yeah, it was like eight a.m. on Monday after we won the championship. And we had funny. all those bottles of tequila, and then we had to have crepes. After. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was one night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, Albert. Yeah. Um. All right. So you want to ask her? Well, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you've yeah. done something. You're probably on the verge of deportation. <laughs> happened to go back to France. Been, I've been smuggling foie gras. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and you're locked up. You're locked up abroad, and you've got one set of last meals. You're on death row, dude. You're on death row. What What's your choice? It's your last lunch dinner. No, your last meal. Dude, you've given it like three different ways. Mm. Is it the last meal or the last day? Meal? It's the last meal, but you can have, like, a meal can be, you know, right, an your, entree. Your, an last, appet- your last dinner. There you go. Um, I was going to say crepe, but like now you <laughs> ruined it. So I want to have to go with something different. I have foie gras for sure. Like uh-huh. I'll import it. I'm probably going to go to jail because I've smuggled foie gras in the U.S. But like, that's why I'm in jail. But no, like foie gras <laughs> on stop. bread. On like, on like perfect baguette. <laughs> is that like caviar or something? What is that? No, it's like, it's duck liver. Ugh. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's like, oh. it's like supposed to be like a delicacy. That sounds so French. Yeah. <sighs> It's like a pate. Like a, Please, I mean, have like, you seen the guy on TikTok where he's, th- he says about the bat and some lady? Oh my God. 
every time you say chara, what is it? Foagra. <laughs> oh yeah, foagra. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like like <laughs> fat liver. It's so, like, yeah. it's so good. What? Foagra. It's so good. I have that. I have that in like a bottle of champagne. Moe. And I'm done. It's like it's like New Year's Eve type. Wait, so you're having yeah. duck liver? Oh yeah. What? Yeah. Like, is it a big portion of duck liver? Is it little? No, it's is like, it like no, caviar. It's like, it's like little. It's like thin slices, and then you put it on. You put it on bread. Like so liver good. queen over here. It's so good. It's so French. Like you can't find it here. My parents like every time that so I don't go home. Wait, how do you smuggle? Because well, it's not you, legal in America. No, because it, normal people don't eat it. All right, I understand why. the concept <laughs> of smuggling. Yeah, I know. But what do you? You just like put it on ice. No, or is it in like no, a no, no, spam like you package? In, you can't have it in cans. What? Like, yeah, you can have it like a can. Like spam? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like super fancy spam. Like my parents send me that like during Christmas time. The same like they, they make me like a little care package with like, Has Josh had and, like it? chocolate. Yeah, he's had it, but he doesn't really care for it. Yeah, it's it's an acquired taste. So it's like okay, caviar, yeah. Okay, so you've got uh you've got foie gras <laughs> and uh what are you having for a drink? Champagne? Champagne. From where? Um, it's going to happen. So I went to engineering school in the Champagne region. So it was going to be something from there. Okay. Um, yeah, probably a Dom Perignon because it's like top of mm. the top. Yeah. And, and I'll then, just like get drunk on, on Champagne. And then what do you, what, <laughs> what do you have for dessert? Oh man, that's going to be Great. sad. No, I love tiramisu. It's not French at all. It's going to have oh, tiramisu wow. for dessert. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's crazy. It's pretty awesome. Wow. No, so I want that. I don't want to be on death row, but I kind of want that right now. Hmm. You would have that same just lineup. I'd have like I'd have like tiramisu and champagne right now. Hey, Do they have that at Chocwala? It, no, they don't. Anything's oh. possible out here. But we got a mean <laughs> latte downstairs. Do. The what's the baguette baguette situation or baguette situation <laughs> like in like, in Milwaukee? Ricky booby. <laughs> but like, so our bread here sucks. I know. It's horrible. Like I don't know where you can you. I don't think you can get fresh bread in America. Go to New York, dude. New York has something oh, yeah, pretty yeah. good. Like I mean, every every big town is gonna have big city is gonna have like French immigrants that are like actually not in Florida. The one in Milwaukee that's good. The, not in Florida. Peddlers, so I peddlers. found like good croissant and good chocolate croissant in, in Milwaukee, <laughs> but I've never found again. Oh, that's what it was. It was croissant. It was in Vegas. I can't even do it. And the guy goes, ma'am, you can say croissant <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> oh, dude, I was dying. <laughs> I always have to like say it in like English accent whenever I order one at like a coffee shop. Like, like what? Kind of a croissant. <laughs> That's so funny. That's, you don't do, you don't go full on. No, they don't understand. I love croissants. I love them. the chocolate ones. I love them. Dude, yeah. I was, I was in Europe and I just, every day I'm just like chocolate croissant day. That and, a, and like an espresso. Yeah. Yeah. Dope. So yeah. I just want to go to Italy just for that. I know. Mm-hmm. It was so, dude, literally, Venice yeah. threw in. <laughs> Give me double mud. <laughs> You're so cultured, man. <laughs> He's so <laughs> cultured. <laughs> That's literally it. That's it. They call me Rispoli. Yeah. Rispoli. Rispoli. <laughs> so I went to Italy and they yelled at me because I was saying Rispoli. And they they yelled at me. They're like, "No, that's not how you say your name." And I was like, "Dude, yes, it's my name. I know how to say it." <laughs> and he's like, "Literally, it's Italian, man. Straight up." And he's like, "No, you say it, 
Rispoli. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's Rispoli. <laughs> so we got into this fight with this so Italian man. Dance. Yeah, pretty much. And he's like, and he's, dude, he's, fin- <laughs> he's finger waving me. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> I can see it happening too. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It was so good. We were in France. It was the weekend. It was before Pittsburgh. And what did we have? We had Pittsburgh and like Jersey or Pittsburgh. I forgot. Mm-hmm. No, Jersey yeah, was the Pittsburgh last one. Cody, Cody it was like it, we went to France, like I don't even know. between two race <laughs> rounds. And it was we had like the best breakfast at the few hotels we stayed with. We stayed at it was like the best croissant. Like everything was fresh in the morning, like fresh baguette meat, and everything, cheese. like meat, cheese and everything. And we come back from France and like we hit a race round. I think it was Pittsburgh. And, you go, and we're like stay at a holiday inn with like <laughs> Water. With, like the, the the fake like scrambled eggs in the morning. Uh, it was like powdered so eggs, sad you right got now. dirty water. I'm so sad. The yeah. coffee was horrible. You got okay, what well. is it? Cafe mate, freaking French vanilla. <laughs> yeah. You can't Blech. even have a real latte. Yeah. Um all right. It's been okay. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um where can people find you if they need some questions on the data side? Aim, you're yeah. at Chuck Wall a lot, but if they need to get a hold of you off to do one-on-ones, whatever you need to do, um, we're going to So the best you. way is Instagram? Yep. Um, so I have two handles. One is Unicornium Engineering. That's where I do like all of the like tech tips. Um, and then my handle, the main one, is like Engine Nerd Isima. Um, which is like it's oh it wow comes that's from, what that said yeah it's engine nerd and it's like the most because it's like Brazilian or like the that's so weird yeah it's super weird <laughs> did you know that I just because like you can't I really figured pronounce I, it I, I just figured I didn't get the nerd part of it I, I just, just yeah. like figured that. I couldn't pronounce it and uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the best way and then like every every <sighs> Moto America round yeah very cool yeah no that's crazy <laughs> um, thank you so much. Um. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. We're gooch. Thanks for coming on. Cool. Perfect. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Go nerds. Ooh. Go Harley. Right. <laughs> go Harley. Yeah. Go Bleed HD. Orange. <laughs> orange or black, baby.